the blast from our past network. Hi, this is Diane Franklin. I am the actress from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, Better Off Dead, and Last American Virgin. And you are listening to Podcasting After Dark. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, John Carpenter's The Thing, starring Kurt Russell, Wilford Brimley, and Keith David. Welcome to another underwear shredding episode of Podcasting After Dark. I'm Corey. <laughs> and I'm not Fuchs, I'm Zach. <laughs> or am i week, or am i fuchs you might be we don't know actually actually we don't technically know if you are or not um and this week we are talking about the john carpenter 1982 classic the thing doom 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 oh man this uh, so if if my notes are any indication, this one's gonna be another magnum opus, guys. I you know uh, by the way, I'm Corey. I'm show running this one. This was my pick for the month as my Christmas movie because it has snow in it, and that's kind of my only <laughs> criteria to what constitutes a Christmas movie. But don't uh, they say at one I point do... he's like the first snow of winter or something like that, or the first day of winter? The first day yeah, of winter. Um, okay, that that technically but, there you go. Yeah, but this always kind of, I always kind of watched this movie in December. It was never a movie that I watched in October. It's like a Halloween thing. So this has always been a December film for me. Maybe that's why it failed. Well, we'll, we'll come to that real uh, We'll come back to that. Um, but I was just saying, uh, you know, if my notes are any indication, uh, I had to, I wrote about 10 pages of notes on this one. In comparison, I wrote about five pages of notes when I was showrunning Cyborg because, like, in Cyborg, there would be – you just write one sentence and it would be, like, Jean-Claude Van Damme's being chased by a bunch of goons in a marsh, right? And that was, like, six minutes of screen time here – Every single scene has something happening, has multiple characters in it that are, like, doing something important. Like, I realize that, like, no one's kind of just a throwaway character in this film. So, you know, I'm sitting here like, okay, that's Fuchs. What's he doing there? Uh, That's Bennington. What's he doing there? Okay, what's Norris doing? What's Gary doing? You know, it's like I I had to try to track everything. And, uh, uh, And my wife watched it with me. So I didn't want to, like, pause it too, too much. You know, I wanted her to actually enjoy it. So... I barely looked up from my fucking... I was writing the entire hour and 45 minutes of this film, basically. And wow. uh, But wow. like like you with... I, th- I think you mentioned it in one of your show-run episodes, how you're like, I didn't even need to look up because I've seen this movie so many times, you know? And and that's the same here. I just... I've seen this movie so much that I, I know it's happening, but I would have to look up to see, like, what certain characters were maybe doing, right? Yeah. Uh, especially when they were kind of uh, in their snow garb. They were kind of like hard to uh hard to tell but we'll get that we'll get to that you know when we get to it um zach my friend i know that you love this movie but you didn't pick it so 
Why don't you tell me like your your background with this film? I didn't pick it because I knew how hard it was gonna be to take notes on it. Uh, <laughs> you asshole! So, you're welcome. <laughs> because I as I as I'm watching it, I'm going. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not taking notes like extensive because my my notes for this were like five pages, six pages because it was I was just making little comments of of things I've noticed because I like you have seen this movie probably. 30, 40, dare I say, dare, dare, 50 times. Uh, and and I, like you, probably, I saw this movie when it came out on the VHS, uh, whereas it seems like the majority of fans saw it when it came out on VHS because it tanked at the box office. Like you said, it came out, you know, it's a winter, it feels like a winter movie, comes out in the summer, same yeah. weekend as E.T. Obviously, it's not going to do very well. Uh, but yeah, when it came out on video, I saw it, I remember seeing it as a kid with my brother, Shout out to Eric. I think my dad actually might have rented this, believe it or not, or my crazy uncle Larry, and it scared the shit out of me as a kid. Uh, oh, it man. Cons- consistently scares the shit out of me as I watch it every, I probably watch it at least once a year. Um, and it, you know, I know we'll save it to the end as well, but it holds up from top to bottom. Bingo, bango, tinga, tango. T to B, baby. T to B. <laughs> yeah dude yeah man i my love affair with the film is fairly similar um pretty much been watching it my entire life i didn't it wasn't one of the ones i I watched when i was super super young i kind of like maybe discovered it closer to probably 14 or so um honestly it's probably when i built up the courage to watch it because i had heard how just gross and nasty it was and i was kind of maybe a little scared to see it but I loved it from from the moment of go, and like like you, it holds up, and I'm always scared of it. It always gives me some kind of freaky feelings and everything. I always kind of jump when Copper gets his hands, you know, eaten off. I think that's a great buildup. Um, I always jump when uh, uh, McCready is doing the the test, you know, the blood test. That oh, yeah. still makes me jump. I can never watch. When Windows cuts his finger to, to, to put the blood in, I can never watch it ever because I don't understand why he goes so deep with that and with that thumb. big because he's got that big ass wart on oh, his thumb. I'm God. like, just take the wart off, dude. Just cut the <laughs> wart off. <laughs> Cut the word off while you're at it. I didn't even know he had a wart there because I cannot watch that scene at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's so gross, but uh, but that's amazing. The, the movie came out in 1982, and it still has this kind of visceral effect on me. Is why I love it. Um, a few sort of noteworthy personal, you know, uh, asides that I would like to mention sort of at the top. Um, it's kind of one of the earlier movies Zach and I bonded over. Yeah. Uh, I remember us talking about sort of different theories, and I have a theory as to when Blair uh, gets infected, so I'll bring that up at the time of, of, of it in the breakdown. But uh, Zach and I kind of bonded over talking about this movie. Um, I also have a fond memory of watching this with a buddy of mine back in high school who was so, you know, nonchalant. Oh, yeah, I've, I've seen the thing and everything. And then about, like, you know, 15 minutes into the, the viewing, I found out that he had seen the movie on TV. So when, like, oh, the dog's head kind of, like, opens up and all this kind of stuff, he's like, 
the look of sheer horror on his face and because yeah. he was not prepared for that is still a moment of joy for me because I got to <laughs> see it for the first time kind of like through his eyes at the age of like, you know, 16 or 17, like, you know, a little bit older. He was he was just like, that wasn't in the movie. And his <laughs> mind was just blown, which I guess would give me insight into like how people felt when they first saw it back in 1982. Yeah, um, I, I think I saw this probably in, I want to say the mid 80s when it was on VHS and this one along with Dawn of the Dead as a kid used to traumatize me uh not to the point where I had like night terror dreams but that just the overall doom and gloom mood always put me in such a eerie place and I feel like this movie does not miss a beat in 2019 almost 20 than it did in 82 but there's no. nothing there's nothing about this movie where you go oh that's so outdated you know you know and it's and we're not a political podcast we don't talk about politics uh but we do have to address the fact that when this was made in the 80s it was also um like an allegory to communism and the fear that, you know, the person in your house next door could be a communist. And there were a few movies like that made uh, over the 80s, the course of the 80s, where, like, the next door neighbor was really a communist spy or something. And because the whole idea is that you can't tell the difference, right? Like, we, yeah. we couldn't tell who, who it was. And it's funny because I just stumbled across a meme last night where it was – the it was the scene where McCready's talking into the microphone and he's like, uh, you know, what does he say? Um, no one trusts anyone anymore yeah. and we're all very tired. And underneath of it, it just said us at the end of 2019, meaning just all of society because of all the back and forth that we have going on in politics and whatnot. And because of that, I think the movie actually holds up in the same way that it did back in 82, meaning, like, it's just, like, you don't know who you can trust. And I'm not trying to say that, like, if you're not aligned politically with somebody that you can't trust them. But we have – our society has turned into this uh, confrontational type of society over your political beliefs – and so I, I, just, I just feel like it kind of holds up in that regard a little bit. And I'm not saying that either side is right or wrong or either or one side is the quote-unquote alien or not. I'm just saying that there's a lot of tension going around right now, and I think this kind of like taps into that. Yeah, I okay, so uh, – and I'm sure you'll touch upon it maybe a little bit in more detail later. But the original story was made in 1938. Right. Who goes there? And then so 1938 and then it was made into a movie in 1951 is the thing from another world. And then 1982 and then unfortunately remade in 2000. Well, not a remake, but like a prequel in, in 2011. And out of those, I, I think you can automatically scratch off the, the, the prequel off this list. But if you look at 1938, 1951, 1982, there was tension going on with some sort of communist faction like the 1930s and 40s we had the nazi germany angle going on and you know that level of tension in the world then you've got 1951 with the start of the cold war and russia and then 82 we were still in the middle of all that shit so yeah i totally piggyback and agree with you that that if you watch it now with today's climate of who do you trust and 
double talking and backstabbing and all that stuff. Uh, you know, no one's pulling a Blair yet, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it hold, like you, I think this film, it's, it's kind of a perfect pick to end the year because this is officially, isn't this our, our last episode of 2019? Well, yeah, our last regular episode. Yeah. And, yeah. and I didn't even think about that, but yeah, good point. This, this closes out our year and decade, what you just said. And, and the, the, the meme, you know, kind of solidifies it is that, yeah, I, I think this movie's pretty fucking perfect allegory for the, for 2018 slash 2019 as well. You know, the end of uh, a decade of in now. Yeah. yeah. And, and the decade oh, of dude. nothingness, the decade of nothingness. I was going to say, <laughs> I was listening, I was listening to a, talk show the other day and they're kind of closing out the end of the year and talking about the top songs of the year top or uh, top songs of the decade top movies of the decade etc etc and everything to me personally um and it's not just because i'm you know a a child of the 80s but it it just it felt so emotionless and and like just didn't have the heart that that other decades have had uh i just feel like 2000 so far from 2000 to now has been like a a wash of just nothingness uh but uh, not to be all doom and gloom but like let's be honest like really not much quality has come out of the past 20 years um but yeah but then as i was saying that like nothingness emotionless emotion oh because the current crop of like music is so like that edm electronic sound it's so kind of outside the what what is pop deemed popular right now feels like very flat to me i'm like oh it's kind of like the aliens in in the thing where they're just emotionless and they just want to destroy this music just wants to destroy us so (laughs) dude yeah i honestly i didn't even think about a lot of that stuff until we started talking about it but i think uh i think we'll probably start peeling away some some more onion layers as we move through the the movie but it is definitely interesting to look at it and think about it in in relation to today's climate and everything and and how it can act how it actually holds up it's quite remarkable really oh yeah um, i do wanna i do wanna segue really quick and say that I always use this movie as an example of when people say when they make the blanket statements that I've made as well that say like, oh, I hate remakes, right? Like I hate remakes. And I've made that blanket statement, too, all the time. I got to remember, like, this is one of my top 10 probably favorite movies of all time, and it is a remake. Like, we're moving further and further away from the original that I think so many people just assume, uh, my wife included, that this was, you know, this is just the first one. This is just the original. Um, But it is a remake, and I love it better than the original. I kind of love the Dawn of the Dead remake kind of better than the original. And before you crucify me, I grew up watching the hell out of the Dawn of the Dead movie. That was one of my main zombie films when I was a kid. I used to watch it all the time. And it's it's awesome, you know, for what it was. But, I mean, you know, at the time it was made and everything, like, there's a lot more things you can do with it. And I really think they did a great job with that Dawn of the Dead remake. So I, w- I would I would tell is, oh, sorry. No, I'm just no. I'm just going to wrap it up saying the point is, is that I just can't make that statement that every remake is terrible. Yeah, ninety percent of them are, but not I, everyone. I would, I would tell, I would say, and I agree with you about Dawn of the Dead. I think they're almost two ti- two entirely different movies, 
just using the same backdrop. But the idea yeah. that, that we've been so remake heavy in the past 10, 20, 30 years, dare I say. Uh, and in 82, there weren't that many remakes. Or if there were, it was an entirely different vibe to it. Um, so this movie, and I've seen, I have the, I own the original, the thing from another planet. Yeah, and, and world we and... should note that the original doesn't have like the body morphing stuff. It's just no. like this alien dude. Yeah, and it's and and they're they're again two totally different movies, but the the it's so much more inspired than the remakes that we have now. Unfortunately, the remakes don't have. I feel like they don't have. A, the heart, again, to talk to talk about the music or whatever. B, they don't have the same um, curiosity or love of the original. And C, it's like an easy cash grab, you know, with everything that's being remade and everything. And I'm not poo-pooing on remakes in, in general. I, I'm just poo-pooing on the poo-poo on the uh the overall <laughs> climate of like oh let's just churn this shit out you know let's let's make another uh sequel to this because it's so much easier than doing something that's original you could remake right. something I, I i honestly and as much as i love fright night i feel like the the remake is not that bad it, it's it's uh com- in comparison to the fog remake the um oh god i, w- I mean we could do a whole like uh, watch list a whole, on whole thing on bad, just on yeah on remakes bad remakes <laughs> yeah the worst remakes of all time uh but i would say yeah i think most people don't cons- even realize that th- if they've seen the thing for the first time they go oh this is a remake they don't feel that way because it doesn't feel like it's taking from a source material that is so pure but, you know yeah be- because this movie felt honest yeah. like it felt like it was made to tell a story and not made, like you said, as a cash grab. Now, I do believe that most filmmakers are trying to tell a story. I do believe that, like, when you, when they, the person who remade, like, the Total Recall remake, I feel like, or the Robocop remake, two, two of the worst remakes I've ever seen, I don't believe that they went into it saying, I want to make a terrible remake. I, I think they went into it with, with love for the, for the original source material. It just, you know, they got lost in translation or they missed something. This, this just felt honest to me. It felt like an honest movie. And uh, and maybe that's, you know, uh, because I know it didn't make that much money, so I can say it wasn't made, you know what I mean? It wasn't made to make money. Um, but it just felt honest to me. And I think that's another reason I think it holds up really well to today. Well, um, this, and, this is and, the, and the special effects are amazing. The, yeah, I mean, I cannot wait to to talk about Rob Bottin, but, uh, but uh, Carpenter, <laughs> yeah, right? Carpenter was at the height of his game. And I, I, he's my favorite auteur. He's my favorite filmmaker ever of all time. I, John Carpenter. Yes. And, and I had the pleasure and honor of meeting him at a Fangoria weekend of horrors, which uh, Tony Timpone and I talked about on the Patreon exclusive interview series. And if you haven't subscribed to that, that's a cheap plug right now. You should, because, um, if you're able to, I don't want to, you know, diss anybody who who can't afford it. Totally honor and respect that. But if you can afford five bucks a month to subscribe to our Patreon, please do it because uh, Tony's the interview I do with Tony. We talk extensively about going to the Fangoria conventions back in the day. And if you don't know who Tony Timpone is, subscribe and you'll find out. Um, he <laughs> and he talked about on the Patreon thing about how or I did too, how uh, intimate they felt and how you could go up to any 
filmmaker, actor, performer, and just have a casual conversation with them. I was had the uh, privilege to talk to John Carpenter when he was promoting Ghost of Ghosts on Mars or Ghost of Mars, which was Ghost of Mars. Uh, Ghost of Mars. I hated that not, movie. It wasn't good, uh, but you know it is what it is. I felt like that he he kind of after he made They Live uh, and that he kind of just went downhill as a filmmaker. And you look at the films he's done since then; they're they're just not the same uh, energy about them. But I asked him about specifically about the thing and my other favorite all-time John Carpenter film, Prince of Darkness. That is my all-time favorite John Carpenter film. Well, no, sorry, Big Trouble in Little China, then Prince of Darkness, uh, and then the thing. But I asked him about the bleak endings that these movies have, or these kind of open-ended endings, as as you view them. And he said. I said, why do you end them that way? And he said, I, because I want to give the viewer the chance to decide what happens next. And I thought that was such a cool, I love that. I love that, that he views his art as a moving experience. And if he didn't do that in this movie, would we still be talking about it today? Like, you know what I mean? Like, if he wrapped it up, Maybe not. Um, would we would we still be talking about it now? Would there have been, you know, the Dark Horse comic sequels and stuff? I think, you know, the awesome I don't video think game that always... came out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that awesome video game. I was telling my wife about that last night. So, you know, I was like, it was cool. They tried to do all kinds of neat things, but they just kind of didn't really have the power to it. Um, but I'm not advocating and saying that, like, Every movie should have an open ending like that, but I do like the fact that you give the audience something to participate with, and you give them something to to go home and sort of think about, and I like that. And yeah, he does that in Prince of Darkness as well, and I will say that that I'm with you. I very much enjoy John Carpenter as an auteur, but I'll... I mentioned it before on the podcast, but I'll mention it here again. One of my favorite things I've ever done, and I've only ever done it with Zach, is we – I think it was like so for the course of like maybe – yeah, that was a little – sounded a little weird. Of course of like, no, like – I'd say like six weeks or so. Um, you know, we'd go like every other week or something. We'd, we'd watch a John Carpenter movie, but we – Zach showed them to, like we watched them in order like um and I'd never seen like Prince of Darkness before and I think that was kind of like the catalyst but we were but we were like you know what let's watch his catalog let's watch it in order and I don't think I think we ended it with Prince of Darkness yeah because um, I've still never seen uh in the mouth of madness and I feel like if okay. I ever do see it I need to see it with you um yeah. but I loved doing that and I very much enjoyed watching an auteur grow in front of my eyes and evolve and and the movies that he makes and all this kind of stuff and it's kind of like it's tying into how i'm feeling uh doing cartwright a seinfeld podcast with my buddy adam and because like i'd seen i've seen episodes of seinfeld just my entire life i mean i saw it in order when it first came out but since then it's always just been sort of all over the place i kind of half pay attention because i've seen every episode a gazillion times but now that we're going through every episode analyzing them i can actually see now callbacks to previous episodes because when you know you're watching something in syndication you kind of don't know where it falls and everything i can actually see callbacks and stuff and it's really really fun so the only other time i've ever done that is with Cartwright and with uh, Zach and uh, John Carpenter and I I implore anyone if you haven't done something like that and you have a favorite director like say it's like James Cameron or something whatever just watch their movies in order that you that they made them in you know a short amount of time and you will see 
things that you never saw before and you will get insight into your your auteur's head yeah and uh it's so much fun i I was gonna say that uh i've read i mean i've read books about carpenter i i i've i've watched countless documentaries about him um i was at one point very obsessed with his career uh and his 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 late 70s early 80s movies um top to bottom and t to b T to B, T to B. And he just, to me, encompassed everything that I admired and loved about film. Like, because the guy, you know, he's a musician, he's a, uh, he's an, he, he's, he's a producer, he's a director, he's a writer, like he's, he's got it all, baby. And, you know, every single one of his movies, starting with Assault up to, yeah, uh, Prince and they live that kind of that late eighties, uh, eighty seven, I think. Um, you know, we can go up and down and 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 talk about how amazing each one of those films is. I can, anyways, because I I just love his work. So the thing to me is this uh, kind of encapsulation of everything I love about Carpenter because it's, it's got every element of what I love about Carpenter. And then you get, you got a splash of Ennio Morricone and, you know, uh, obviously it's a bigger budget than he, than he'd had before. So he's able to do more things that are more, uh, over the top, you know, up until this point. And so, uh, I can't wait to just tear it up. And rip it open yeah. like this little gift, this little present that we're having early. Uh, <laughs> we're recording it before Christmas, but it feels like a Christmas present. It does. Every time I watch this movie, it feels like a gift from John Carpenter to the world. And it's just, it's it's amazing. Um, we have so much to talk about. We have a huge cast. Uh, I, I want to put a little caveat at the front of this. So, yeah, like I said, I'm show running this one, but... <laughs> my mom's coming to town in a week. Things have been so crazy in in my life right now. And I knew this movie was like just tracking. It was going to be so daunting that I didn't kind of, I realized this morning, I didn't kind of make mental uh, uh, time to do like behind the scenes research and stuff. So I'm going to very much rely heavily on Zach's knowledge. Uh, uh, I'm going to lean on Zach and my own in, internal knowledge about this movie. But Zach definitely knows a lot more about the behind the scenes of this film uh, than I do. Um, and uh, yeah, and I apologize for that, guys. I just I just kind of like ran out of time to sort of dig into it. But I do have extensive notes on the movie. We're a one-two punch, dude. We, we got each other's That's backs. That's right. And our fronts. We've got the backs and the fronts. Because it's <laughs> podcasting after dark. The front butts. <laughs> We've got, they, you know, that'll be our tagline. We've got each other's backs, dot, 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 and our fronts. Uh, I don't know. That reminds me, it. It reminds me of Chevy Chase when he's like, um, uh, I think it's in National Lampoon's Vacation when he walks in on his wife. He's like, can I get your back and your front? She's in the shower. <laughs> he, she's in the shower. Sorry, that was a terrible setup. We may have to do uh, uh, Vacation or one of them. I, I love those movies because we've never done a straight-up comedy, but we'll, we'll talk about it oh, off-air, but... But I do. I will say this, Zach. I will put this on record. If you do not pick Prince of Darkness, which I think you should, I will be picking Prince of Darkness at some point because I absolutely love that movie and I want to talk about it on this podcast. But I do think it should be yours, so I don't have to take the notes and I can just enjoy it. <laughs> I, I'm the no joke. I've seen that movie 
uh, close to a hundred times. But, but and you know, and one of those times, you and I saw it together in the the church that they filmed it in. Yeah, there's not too many people that can talk about seeing a movie in the actual location where they shot it. We obviously have not had the pleasure of seeing this movie in Alaska where they shot this, <laughs> uh, you know, covering as the Antarctic. But, uh, you know, you never know. Things can happen. You, you never know. You never know. So we talked kind of extensively about John Carpenter, um, obviously, but there is such a huge cast of actors in this yeah, film. Break it down, that, baby. Like, yeah, let, let's let's not spend too much time on any one, but we gotta we do have to talk about them. Uh, obviously, up at the top we have Kurt Russell who plays McReady. I mean, do, do do we need any kind of you know backstory on Kurt Russell? We should all know who he is, right? Yeah, we don't even need to go there. I I would think. <laughs> I would think. Um, but uh, next up we have Wolford Brimley, who we all know is from the diabetes commercials, right? I was going to say from uh, Remo, The Adventure Begins, but yeah, from the Beatus. The Beatus didn't, I think he used to do like oatmeal commercials too back in the day. Yep. He was, he did Quaker Oats oatmeal. <laughs> um, he did, he did the Beatus. Uh, me personally, I always loved him in Hard Target, obviously. Um, but he oh, was on, what was that show, that TV show back in the 80s where he like played the grandpa? Was it like This Old House or something like that? <laughs> this Old House was a, was a, was a, a show about, uh, uh, home improvements but yeah <laughs> <laughs> there was some show that he was on um and of course he was in in seinfeld as the uh postmaster general which okay. was a, a great episode <laughs> I, so i got i got a little idea that'll that'll help us uh as far as is is because because there's such an extent these guys a lot of these guys have such an extensive body of work maybe uh you and i each will pick out our like favorite role of, of of the okay. actors we recognize, so of Kurt Russell, which which is your favorite Kurt Russell movie? Oh yeah, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, man. I I've, I I Agreed. love that Agreed. as far as the older stuff goes, but um, newer stuff, I really like him in like the Hateful Eight and stuff. I like how Kurt Russell has aged. Okay, uh, yeah, I like. Okay, Our House, by the way, was the show he was on, so that was really close. Our House, yep, yeah. I was close. There was house in, in the word <laughs> in, the, in the title. <laughs> yeah, so I will say, yeah, Kurt Russell, Big Trouble is my favorite too. Uh, Wilford Brimley, yours is what is Hard Target? Hard, I'll, I'll just say Hard Target. <laughs> I'm going to say Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. Nice, nice. Okay. Uh, Keith David, my favorite role will probably be, or just what I know him from the most, is uh, the voice of Goliath on Gargoyles. Ooh, okay. I'm going to say, I mean, I loved him in They Live, but I'm going to say uh, Childs in The Thing is my favorite, is my favorite Keith yeah. David movie. Yeah, no, you. I would probably say that, like, yeah, physical role. This would be it as well for me. Um, Richard Mazer. Oh yeah, yeah. He plays. Uh, who who's he playing this? He, uh, he plays Clark. Yeah. Um, the the guy with the dogs, and I think now he's like the head of the like Screen Actors Guild or something like that. My favorite role of his, and I'm trying to find it, was that Disney movie Mr. Boogity Man. Oh, yeah, or I know you love like that. that. I don't think it's available yet on the Disney Plus. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. But because of Disney Plus dropping, somebody did 
you know, showed a picture of it. And I was like, oh, yeah, because we, we talked about it before. Yeah. Um, and he was also in, like, the original, I think, It, right, as one of the older kids grown up. He but, was. you my, know, f- to, to be truthful, this is probably my favorite movie of his. My favorite of his is uh, License to Drive. Oh, was he was he the dad in that? He's the dad in that, yeah. Uh, he, he looks like a dad. He, <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely looks like a dad. I just want to give him a big hug. I just want to give him a hug. <laughs> Um, next up, we have Knowles. We have T.K. Carter. He played Knowles. Yeah. T.K. Carter. And this was this was one of those times where I totally recognize him from just a bunch of different stuff. But as I scroll through his IMDb, aside from The Thing and, like, you know, maybe Domino, that movie that came out in 2005, yeah. um, I, I don't really recognize a lot of his movies, but yet I really recognize him. Yeah, he did a lot of, he did a lot of TV stuff and a lot of voice acting. <clears throat> oh, okay. He did a lot of voice you, acting. Uh, Turbo Teen and Gem, which are great. Like Gem and the Holograms, you mean? Yeah, yeah, dude. Oh, good for him. Oh, I see it right here. Yeah, yeah. But um, my, do you my have fa- a do you have a particular favorite one of his? Yeah, I mean, for even though I've seen him again, like you said, in in a lot of different things, various roles, the, his role in the thing is the best. Yeah, but yeah, oh, he was in. And- he, sorry, he was in a movie called Runaway Train. Um, with with Eric Roberts and John Voight, which is a really cool canon uh, drama and action yeah. movie, worth definitely worth checking out. Um, and yeah, he he's 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 got a small role in that, but but yeah, the I thing. I saw on the I think the canon films appreciation thing on Facebook, somebody made a replica. You know, they used the old model train things. They made yeah. a replica of oh, the yeah, runaway dude. train in that movie. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Um, Palmer is uh, played by David Clennon. (laughs) He's been in a gazillion things. And I'll just say the thing is what I know him from the most. Agreed. I will. I will. Yeah, he's he's a great character actor. Um, Definitely the thing. Yeah, definitely the thing. Uh, What about uh, Richard Dysart, um, who passed away in 2015? And he played Dr. Copper. Uh, Who do you what do you know him from? I know I mostly know him from L.A. Law. I used to love that show. And uh, but I I love him in this. I love his little um, whether it's real or not, the little nose ring that he has. Uh, He kind of. Yes. Has a hippie vibe to him. Yeah, I I pointed that out to my wife last night because you could see it really well, you know, in HD. Yeah. And I remember as a kid, because, you know, VHS, TVs were smaller. I never, I discovered he had a nose ring, like, in my 30s. Like, a viewing in my 30s. You know what I mean? Like, I, it blew my mind, and I showed it to my wife last night. Blew her mind as well. But... I'm with you. I always liked that character choice, whether it was a character choice or the actor himself. I always liked it because it gave you some sort of visual indication of his past. Yep. And I thought that was kind of neat. Um, he's been in a bunch of stuff, but again, this is probably the one that I I know him from the most. Um, and, and he's actually, uh, speaking of, of Keith David, he did a voice on the, uh, the Spawn cartoon uh, with Keith David as well, and Keith yep. David played Spawn in the Spawn cartoon, which is he's got such a just a great great voice. Char- Charles Hollenhan uh, plays Norris, and uh, <laughs> I kind of sadly I kind of know him from Dante's Peak. <laughs> oh, <laughs> remember dude. that movie, yeah. that volcano movie? Yeah. I kind of I mean I know him from this obviously, but <laughs> he's been in a bunch of stuff. But I'll just say Dante's Peak is where I knew him from the most. That's hilarious. I, I remember him from from Fatal Beauty. Uh, cause he's a cop in fatal beauty. Fatal beauty is a cool Whoopi Goldberg, um, Sam Elliott, the cop drama. He's a cop. He's a copper in that. 
Uh, he was in a ton of <laughs> 80s stuff. And, uh, you know, just like if you look up his his resume in the 80s and early 90s, he was all over the place. Uh, he was in a great movie called uh, Great um, uh, Clint Eastwood Western Pale Rider. And he's got a pretty big role in that. And yeah, he, oh he, yeah, I so. I like Peter Ryder. That's the one where he comes back in town and he's got like the scarf around his neck because yep. you don't know who he is and it, he might be death. You know, like I I like. Is that the one? Right? Yeah, it was kind of like the last uh, man with no name western role yeah. he did right before Unforgiven. Yeah, Peter Maloney. Yep. Uh, who played uh, Bennings? He uh, he's been in so much stuff like Requiem for a Dream and, and Private Parts and whatnot, um, and like Rescue Me. He's just in a t- shit ton of shit, but I kind of remember him in K-Pax. I kind of en- I had a moment where I enjoyed oh that God, that film K-Pax. at the time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> if if we're saying a movie besides the thing that I know him from. Oh, got know? it, got it. Okay, yeah, yeah. If we were gonna go there, uh... yeah, because again. Now I'm realizing that most of these guys, even though they have extensive, you know, IMDb pages, I kind of only know them from, uh, uh, you know, the thing. But yeah. I do remember him in K-Pax. Oh, that's K-Pax. K-Pax. I'm all K-Pax. Oh, man. Okay, I'll give you that one. Okay. All right, cool. How about uh, Don Moffat? How about Don, uh, Donald Moffat as Gary? Um, Gary. Gary with two R's, by the way. Yeah, Fucking yeah, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> Gary. Oh my God. Um, uh, uh, I'll say this: he always reminds me of my buddy Luke's dad. Uh, for some, they have like kind of like a similar haircut, and I think it was mostly because they probably had like his dad, you know, had white on the sides and was like kind of dark on the top, and kind of like yeah, had the same sort of the same build. So I'll say that that Gary always reminded me of Luke's dad, but. <laughs> Also, aside from the thing, uh, as the clear and present danger, I remember him from clear and present danger. Yeah, that's what I remember him mostly from too. That and the uh, the right stuff. I love the right stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a that's a fantastic film Dude. as well. Um, Joel Polis is Fuchs, and honestly, I don't really know him from anything else. Funny thing is, he was actually in an episode of Seinfeld, but I I don't really know which one yet. I haven't come across it. Um, but I only know Fuchs from, from the thing, really. Yeah, I remember him from just a ton of TV stuff, and he still does a ton of TV stuff. Uh, he's just he's a great character actor. This movie, this movie was one of the first, in my opinion, uh, first films to really, like, uh, showcase character actors as like you know give them their their time to shine yeah you're right it 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 is a movie that's like 99 percent character actors except for probably kurt russell yeah. who is the leading man obviously but the rest of the movie is just full of fantastic character actors yeah yeah fuchs uh fuchs had you know i i i, I he's one of my favorite act characters in the movie actually but uh but I, I was gonna just point out really quick that he was in a he was in a fun uh, movie called My Blue Heaven, a great uh, Steve Martin Rick Moranis comedy. He's like an FBI agent in it. Yeah, and he has a small role, I, I, a me- semi memorable role, but that's a fun comedy from the from the good old days. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in forever, dude. That, dude, was, I, that movie just holds saying up. it was a yeah, I know. Just just saying it's like a trip down memory lane. And finally. <laughs> Thomas G. Waits yes. as Windows. What if you're wrong about him? <laughs> where, where I was saying that all last night. 
I got asked, buddy, where do you know him from? So I, I want you to answer this question. Where do you think I'm going <laughs> to say I know him from? Knowing you, you're going to say the Warriors. I mean, he was, he, he, like, the, the Warriors is my favorite movie of all time. When we break down that movie, I will have equally 10 pages of <laughs> breakdown notes, I'm sure, uh, for that film. But yeah, he is beyond, uh, he's the fox. He's the fox. He's like one yeah. of the, he's the like the lieutenant uh, in, in the Warriors. And he was also on Oz, that really cool HBO yeah. prison show. Uh, he had a great death in that where someone grinded up glass and they put it in his pasta. And so eventually it ate a hole in his stomach. And one day he just oh. like collapsed. <laughs> cool. That's yeah. Cool. Oh, it's so badass. Uh, but yeah, windows. I remember I saw the warriors around the same time as I saw the thing. So, uh, seeing him in two different roles, one with a beard, one clean shaven. Uh, he's a little heavier in, in this one than he is in the warriors, obviously. Uh, but yeah, just, I was like, Oh, the, the connection between the warriors. So for a while, the warriors and the thing were my two favorite movies of all time. One, two. Yeah. Because of the connection there. I got no problem with that whatsoever, buddy. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that connection works just fine. Um, so let's, uh, let's dig in, man. Let's, let's just, just jump into thing. this movie 45 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> something for 100,000 years it was buried in the snow and ice now it has found a place to live inside where no one can see it or hear it or feel it I know I'm human some of you are still human this thing doesn't want to show itself it wants to hide inside an imitation it'll fight if it has to but it's vulnerable out in the open if it takes us over and it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? We can beat one of those things! All right, dude. This movie starts with one of the like one of my favorite openings ever. You get basically a UFO flying out of space and into the Earth's atmosphere, kind of burning up, and then you get the best title card I've ever seen of the thing kind of burning its way out of the darkness in front of your eyes, and then they cut to Antarctic winter 
1982. I don't know. And I want to just pause here real quick and address how they made that awesome, awesome opening title shot. You you love that, right? Yeah. The the thing logo. Dude, it it is. Yeah. And when I figured out how they did it, I was like, whoa, that is so cool. So please, please dig. Yes. So basically they had it like, I guess it's like a cutout. Uh, they're filming straight ahead. They're, there's a cutout of the title of the thing right there. They shine the light back through it, but they put paper behind it, and they just burn the paper up, thus revealing the name. So easily done, just a practical effect, and it looks, oh, my God, fucking amazing. Even like even today, I'm like, why would you even want something CGI when you could do a logo like that? And who the fuck does anything like that anymore, man? Nowadays, Nobody. you just see, like, the, the title just appear. But having it, like, burn in like that and actually make it, like, do something and have it be so visceral with the smoke and stuff, it's, god damn, how cool is that? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it is beautiful. It's beautiful the way they they did it. And uh, and just knowing that little tidbit of info, information, it's like, wow, that you really cared about what you were doing versus just using cgi and getting it over with yeah yeah that you actually cared because that took time that took time and manpower to do when you could have just made a static logo right and and the producers would have been sure that's fine everyone would have been sure that's fine but this opening shot i think sets the tone that we're in for more than we think we are. We're in for a, a, a more quality ride than maybe, you know, the trailers showed at the time. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's so good. It's just so goddamn good. And I have to point out in the onset, like, uh, you know, this, this movie it was panned up and down when it came out. The The film score, which uh, Ennio Morricone does, you know, was, was panned. Apparently it was con- considered, it was nominated for a worst score back in the day. Uh, which Jesus. it's like really this is this movie was one of the first movies for me where I, I realized film critics uh, are, are, are very, you know, they're biased in some way. Yeah, uh, it came out apparently the same day that Blade Runner came out and which I didn't know until I did a little bit of digging, uh, which is really cool. And it's funny because both movies got panned when they came out. And they're now considered classics. So, yep. um, you know, there you go. Oh, and it was they... filmed in British Columbia. I know I mentioned earlier Alaska. Uh, it was filmed in British Columbia. Okay, I I actually I mean I knew it wasn't Antarctica, but I I wasn't sh- quite sure where it was filmed. Um, I, I don't sometimes with movies I don't do a lot of background digging. This one, even when I was younger, I was more interested in the special effects and, and how they did that than I than like you know the, the shooting locations. So I kind of never really dug into that kind of stuff when I was younger. Even to today, shooting locations unless I can go there. Uh, yeah, they don't really interest me. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, I guess I guess in Antarctica they have it's become like a a tradition. Uh, they they have like a like a theme uh, celebration in in June, <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> uh, and I guess the guy, some dude in like 2003 went to the actual location in British Columbia and found the remains of Outpost 31 and the helicopter, and he has like oh, a cool. blade from the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> they just left that shit there. Yeah, yeah fuck it. The, the 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 earth can can take it back. We, right. We're not going to take it. <laughs> so there there's a, there's a website, and I'm sure I'll reference it often. Uh, Outpost31.com. It's kind of the collection of all info regarding the theme the thing there is already a countdown for the 40th anniversary which will be in 2022, which is hilarious. Oh, cool. Um, and yeah, and so. There's just a lot of really fun 
if obviously you're listening to this, you're a fan, a lot of cool info on this, on the, on the movie. So it's worth checking out. Yeah. I'll have to go by there, uh, after we stop recording and, and see everything that I got wrong. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm <kidding>. doubting. <laughs> um, so we kind of have now the, the proper opening of the film and just beautiful shots of, I guess, uh, British Columbia, uh, wherever they film sort of the establishing shots, but it's, it's gorgeous landscape. And we see a helicopter, uh, basically flying over the frozen barren waste, kind of chasing, chasing a dog, um, like a wolf slash dog. We're not quite you know sure why, but, uh, one guy on the helicopter has kind of got a, a rifle with a scope and he's shooting at the dog as they're chasing it. Um, you cut back to the American camp, and this is the first time that we're seeing the American camp. And, uh, you know, everyone's kind of, scientists are doing their thing. It's, you know, it's typical establishing kind of shots and everything. And we do get a scene of McCready playing chess against the computer. And it's the famous shot of, like, him losing, and he pours his drink into the computer and destroys it. But I, I love <laughs> just the old 1982 technology and the idea that these poor bastards are just stuck down there with with a chess computer and you know VHS tapes of old game shows where nowadays man like you'd have Wi-Fi you have like all kinds of stuff but it was cool because when I was a kid you know it shows that like you, they had to ha- take into account like entertainment and you know they're not getting TV you see board games and stuff but there's so much effort put into staving off um, you know, madness essentially, right? Because if you get bored, you go insane, right? Well, now they're down one computer because McCready dumped his drink into it, and after he said "cheat and bitch," and, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, and dude, the, like it this, and, and if shit doesn't go wrong, this is like the beginning of their like season. So, like, what an asshole, you know? <laughs> he just destroyed their he destroyed their computer. Well, they have other computers, I guess, but uh, but yeah, yeah, it is, it is kind of funny that. Uh, they have all these VHS. So yeah, they they put in the VHS tape and uh, and Palmer and uh, Childs are smoking. I was, <laughs> so I was uh, quite possibly the largest doobie I've seen since a Cheech and Chong movie. <laughs> we'll, we'll get we'll get to that when we get to that. But yeah, my wife made the exact same comment. She goes, "That's a big fucking joint." <laughs> I looked up from my notes and I'm like, and I like licked my lips. I was like, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> "Give it to me." <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote down for that. I'm like. Corey loved this scene. I did. I, I I would totally I would totally have been Palmer in this film. By the way, that that is literally who I would have been. Hey, fuck you, Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> That's my one of my favorite lines. Uh, <laughs> my favorite my favorite Palmer's line is uh, you say, uh, "Well, thanks for thinking about it." <laughs> yeah, I do that all the dude. I'm all the time. I'm like, "Well, thanks for thinking about me." <laughs> Yeah, it's great. It's Chariots of the gods. Um, Chariots of the gods. It's awesome. <laughs> um, so back back outside, uh, we we see the helicopter still chasing the dog, and he starts. They start dropping grenades on the dog, which is they Jesus. suck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the Norwegians uh, cannot kill uh, hit this dog to kind of like save their life because um, they start dropping grenades and they still can't do it um so the dog kind of runs its way into the u.s base camp the 
Norwegians, they land their helicopter, and one of the guys has a grenade already primed, so the pin is already pulled. He leans, throws his hand back to throw it, but because he's got gloves on and he's he's a moron, he's a scientist, he's not a soldier, so he's he's it's not his fault. He loses the <laughs> grenade, it kind of flies behind him and lands in the snow. The other guy, the other Norwegian with the gun, sees it and is like, well, fuck, I'm not going to help my buddy, I'm just going to run, which is probably the smart thing to do. His Buddy goes to try to uh, get the grenade and gets blown up, which I think is awesome. Yeah. And then his other friend, the guy with the gun, starts shooting basically at the dog and not caring, you know, uh, uh, you know who he hits because he knows what's at stake. And that's that's the thing. Like at this point, you're thinking that they're crazy or you're thinking that they're dumb or whatever. But in actuality, they've already lived through their own hell, and they know they're kind of like Blair. They know what is at stake and essentially what is at stake is the entire world as small as this movie is what's at stake is the world and that's what's kind of awesome about it so the norwegian (laughs) who sucks at shooting accidentally (laughs) hits bennings in the leg and instead of kills the dog and gary who was kind of like sort of waiting there with his pistol in his hand uh, great shot, by the way. Just oh, yeah. blow, just shoots the Norwegian right through the eye. And He's I love that shot because shot you see like his eye. And he, and he falls down. And I like how the Norwegian just doesn't fall down dead. He does like that, that death rattle thing where he kind of yeah. like twitches and moves. Yeah, and I thought that was highly disturbing. Oh yeah, I agree. I I, I was I, before I forget. I just want to go back to the the computer scene with McCready, uh, the voice of the computer. My God, man, by... we're so far away from that. <laughs> I know. Sorry, I just had to say that uh, that's that was the voice of Adrian Barbeau from uh, you know Swamp ah. Thing and Escape from New York fame, uh, Creep Show, and who whatnot. who was she married to John Carpenter at, at this point? At the time, she was, and uh, okay. yeah, and then apparently the dog in this scene. Uh, is not the dog featured later on in the movie. It was another dog and it was painted to look like that dog. <laughs> okay. Painted. And I, I, yeah, that's okay. Okay. Well, good job. Uh, good job. That other dog. Cause I did not pick up on that whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. That, that <laughs> dog's the dog did a great job. I thought so too. The, the, the dog for throughout the rest of the film is uh, apparently its real name is Jed. I saw that because on Amazon Prime, when you pause it, it tells you the actor's names, and someone took the time oh. to actually create a, a, a little picture and a name for the dog. Oh, cool. <laughs> That's cool. All right. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. 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 There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, so... The good news is the dog is safe, <laughs> and so is the rest of the the U.S. base camp. You know, with the Norwegian laying, you know, bleeding out from his head. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Um, so, like, nice every- job, Gary. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Good way job, to- Gary. But if you and- think about it, way to fuck up, Gary, because you just ruined it for everybody, Gary. Gary. Well, I mean, I think honestly, you know, if that Norwegian guy. Did, if he actually shot the dog, first yeah. off, the dog would not have died, and it probably would have like exploded with tentacles and whatnot. It would have been a whole different movie if that Norwegian yeah. dude hadn't gotten shot by Gary. 
Um, Agreed. The rest of the guys sort of like come out, you know, uh, to examine what's happening, and they they go to check the the wreck of the helicopter, and you know, and you got to kind of get a little scene of like Clark getting friendly with the dog, and kind of you get the sense because he's the dog guy. He's like the, he does the kennel and everything. Yeah. So they're already like they're doing a good job of like establishing who does what right out of the gate. Like clearly, Gary has some kind of military training, and they never quite specifically say, but I. I he's the only military guy on the base right it's a it's a military operation i would imagine yeah yeah and apparently like you know there's there's uh, a level of paranoia because this is taking place during the cold war that's why there's all the weapons in the uh in the in the in the bunker itself or in the in the outpost and yeah i think i think so i think the rest are scientists that's a good point. There are a lot of weapons in this this outpost for for a group of scientists. I never actually thought about that too much. But yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And yeah, and, and it would make sense that the US military would want to put somebody with military background kind of in charge of it too. Yeah, because I was I was wondering I'm like why do they put all their credence around McCready? You know, because when he even when he later in the movie when he's recording himself, he he just says helicopter helicopter pilot RJ McCready. It's very straightforward. It's not like he's saying Lieutenant R.J. McCready or something like that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and and I I think I think McCready's just not. I think he's civilian. I think he's purely civilian. Yeah, he's a helicopter pilot. Yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, that's. I mean, like, he's not lieutenant because he's not military. He's just a, a civilian helicopter pilot. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, and and I'm, and I was I was always like, well, but he's just a helicopter. But everyone like thinks like they put all their trust behind him. Like he's the go to guy. Know, but. Oh, oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Like, like, what give? Like, what, what background does he have? Uh, uh, and honestly, later on, when when he's doing something, where they come back from the Norwegian base camp, they're all like asking him questions. Like, what the hell do I know? You know? Yeah. And yeah, they <laughs> yeah. instantly sort of gravitated towards him, and and not Gary, which is which is interesting. Um, but I, I will say that all makes sense with human nature. And I will say that, that from the get go, you can tell that Gary was rattled by having, you know, to, to shoot that guy. And I think from the get go, Gary, Gary was shaken, right? Like from the get go of this movie, Gary's not a good leader. He was, he's already shaken by, by the events of it. Yeah. Yeah. Gary, (laughs) Gary, I mean, (laughs) Oh, Gary. Oh, Gary. (laughs) So, Inside, Dr. Palmer is patching up <laughs> Benning's leg. Um, Windows is trying to call the Norwegians or sort of like anybody, uh, you know, just trying to get anyone on the horn. He mentions that, you know, uh, you know, we's, we haven't gotten anyone in weeks down here or whatever. And I do love Nalls is, is he, he kind of chimes in and says, maybe we're at war with Norway. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Weirder things could happen, right? Like, yeah, like you're completely cut off from everyone. And all you know is that two Norwegian scientists come at you hot, right? And with guns and you have to kill them. Maybe we're at war with Norway. That is not outside the realm of possibility in their minds. When when Windows has no, you know, he can't get a hold of anybody. What does he say? We we haven't been able to get a hold of anybody for how many weeks? For like, yeah, I think he said two or it's more than like a week, right? It's it's plural. So yes. they're cut off, you know, pretty – which is establishes what you need to know because there's no help coming. There's there's no – even like, like no verbal help. Like you yeah. don't have anyone to communicate to. So the team's kind of like talking about what's going on. Uh, they're over the dead body of the Norwegian. They're trying to figure it out. Uh, 
Dr. Copper decides to go see what happened at the Norwegian camp, and he takes McCready with him. They have, like, a little bit discussion about, you know, how safe it is to kind of fly in this weather. And, uh, you know, I, you know, he says, I think somebody says, uh, I think Gary says it's going to clear up, you know, or something like that. But basically, you know, McCready's good to go. You know, he wants to know what's what's going on, too, and he'll, you know, deal with, with whatever happens to sort of get there. Apparently, too, that McCready, uh, uh, Kurt Russell actually flew the helicopter at one point a little bit. Holy shit. In this That's scene. awesome. Yeah. Uh, the, God, the, Kurt the Russell's cop- so cool, man. I know. And so it, it wobbles, I guess, at some point, And then that's that's because he that's the point when he took control of the helicopter, I guess. Oh, interesting. And, and, and then and the helicopter pilot was like, no, no, give, give it back. Give it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So back inside, we kind of get like a, a panning shot of the dog and some ominous music. And throughout the course of the first part of this of the movie, I love the dog. I love how it, it acts. I love how, how it, it just doesn't act like a dog. And obviously it's on purpose. Obviously, you yeah. know, they, they use a trained dog. He kind of, but he's, I love how still it is. I love how it always is watching so intently because dogs aren't like that, man. Unless you really got their attention, it would be like wagging its tail, bopping around, but it, it behaves almost like a person. And I, it's got to be by design. I mean, they had, they did it by design. And I just, I think they did a great job of it. Oh yeah, totally agree. I I want to point out because I they show Palmer at one point in this, and I I think for like the first half or maybe three quarters of the movie, he's got like soot all over his either his face and his arms. He's got like dirt, and you don't really pick up on it on the non HD transfer, but on the HD Shout Factory <laughs> release that I watched, I'm like, why is he so fucking dirty? Was he cleaning out their uh, chimney or something? Was he a chimney guy? What was all right? So let's let's real quick just just break it down really fast. And we probably should have done that when we talked about the people, um, the actors. So McCready's just a helicopter pilot. That's all he is. Yeah. Uh, what is what is Palmer? What is his role here? Uh, Windows seems like he's a communications guy. Yeah. Nalls is the cook. Blair and Copper are both doctors because you you know you want two in case something happens to one. You got to have two doctors. Gary's sort of the head of it. So Childs um, and Palmer seem like more like mechanic type of guys. Yeah. So like you said, uh, Clark is the dog guy. Um, Yes. Yep. Clark's uh, the dog guy. Fuchs is another scientist. um, uh, Or he's a straight up scientist. Bennings is probably a scientist as well. Uh, And then, yeah, is Palmer. Yeah. Palmer's a I guess he's a mechanic. Yeah, I, I, you got to have somebody who can repair stuff, right? That makes sense and, that yeah. that uh, Palmer and Childs and, – and Palmer and Childs both are kind of in the same room together. Yeah. I, I feel like they have a little bit of a, of a camaraderie together. I yeah. kind of had – I almost felt like uh, – uh, shoot, I, I forgot their names, but in, in Alien – they're the two out oh. of the characters that are that are like the two mechanic guys, yeah. you know. Totally. They kind of had this vibe to them. Um, so I always took it that Palmer was just Palmer and Childs were kind of like mechanics, and yeah. or just jack of all trade, repair stuff around the place, you know. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. I will I will say okay. too. Apparently, Childs wears his glove, and I'll do this throughout the the, the breakdown if the, if you're okay with it. Like little fun facts yes. here and there, but. Childs uh, wears gloves throughout most of this movie because he broke his hand uh, oh. in a car accident and he had a cast. So he had to cover it up with with the gloves. 
holy shit i had no clue that's yeah. really cool dude and yes please pepper in anything that you feel uh is warranted um like i said i this is not a movie that i i i ever want to dive into because i feel everything i care about is on the screen you know what i <laughs> yeah, mean no, so totally. well, no and, and i don't and i don't mean you know what i mean i don't mean like no, I, yeah. I don't want to hear what you're saying it's just i didn't dive on my own and i find that interesting as well but i also want us to break down theories like yeah. so if you have a fan theory um you know we got to talk at the end about you know Childs and and uh McCready um and and the breath coming out of their mouth stuff like that so if you have if you have fan theories that you want to address during the course of it just bring it up as it comes along cool we kind of like have like a, a cut to later that night uh Bennings is trying to sleep while Nalls is cooking and listening to music it's a funny little scene yeah. where you know Bennings <laughs> he calls Nalls and tells him to turn the turn the music down i was shot today <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's I the song? That, I always like that. What's the song? It's kind of good. It's perfect, perfect music choice, song choice. Oh yeah, I can't, I can't pull it off my head right now. I've got bad um, song remembering, whatever that you know. Recall what? What was it, buddy? It was superstitious by Stevie Wonder. Oh, that it does superstitious. Ratings on the wall. Yeah, no, it's perfect. That that was done by choice, right? Like that tells you something i just put it as as a music right but that's really cool that's really fucking cool um so we see still see the dog sort of creeping around uh the camp and it kind of ends with you see a room where all you see is a shadow of somebody's head the dog walks into that room and the head sort of turns around the shadow and that's all you see of it so you don't know who got infected or whatever i was going to point out in that scene um Carpenter intentionally used an actor who was not in the movie so that you could you could uh, not like figure out who that was. Yes. So that was actually going to be a question of mine. And I, I kind of I don't know if I've ever heard you say that before, but I kind of felt like that was the case or just by me observing it. But I thought it was a, just a different actor. It didn't look like it had anyone's head shape that we recognized. Yep. And that is that's so smart. I kind of had a gut feeling that that's what he did. And I love that he did do that. But for the record, I think that that was Palmer. I think this is when Palmer gets it, and basically during the course of the entire movie, Palmer is the red herring. I don't think this is when Norris gets it. No, I would have. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that. Uh, I mean, it, it, Carpenter left it to be totally ambiguous as to who right. it was going to be, but I, I like your theory. That would make sense. And he, he, and he and Windows clearly don't get along, and he kind, he kind of taps into that as well. And the actor almost has like the crazy windows hair, but we know that windows is never the thing. So yeah, um, I, I think it's Palmer, but yeah, it could, it could, it could have been Norse, uh, as well, but I, I think it was Palmer. Um, back, we cut back to the Norwegian camp and, uh, Cooper and, uh, McCready, you know, are getting there and they're kind of like looking around and the whole place is, is destroyed. And, I love all the little set pieces that they come across. Uh, they come across a body of a guy who like slit his own throat and then slit his own wrists or something. And is like, his blood is, is frozen. It's such a, a cool visual. And as they're walking around, like there's an ax in the wall and, you know, and they find, they eventually find that block of ice that was cut out that has something inside of it. And then, 
it kind of culminates with them finding this mangled body that was burned in the middle, uh, outside in the middle of, of the camp. But I know that we got the answers to all of this in that 2011 thing movie. Yeah. I don't care. I, I like that. I saw the movie once and I was like, it's fine. I, I understand what you guys were trying to do. I, I barely remember it, but watching this scene, just not even thinking about the 2011 version. Yeah. This scene just fills my brain with so much morbid imagination because I'm yeah. trying to piece together what happened to these fucking poor Norwegian bastards. And by the way, there used to be an inside joke with a buddy of mine where, uh, you know, the Swedish year, Norwegians, I, 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 <laughs> him or I would always say Norwegians in the same way kind of copper says it. So we'd always go Norwegians like that, you know, and I did like the inside joke of McCready calling them Swedes and, and, and copper always going Norwegians. That's hilarious. But, um, this whole scene was awesome, dude. I, and, and, to kind of like finish it out, like when they come across that body, that mangled, burned body, the way John Carpenter shoots it, you never get a full shot of it. You get that that low camera where it's kind of like the creatures in the foreground, but it's out of focus while the camera's kind of at, at McCready and, and Copper. And it's just the fact that you barely see any glimpses of it is just what fills your imagination, you know? Yeah, I feel like, you know, and you referenced the 2011 uh, prequel, and I don't think it's terrible. I it, it's, it is what it is. But the video game, the PlayStation 2 game that came out, which kind of explores the territories of Outpost 31 and the Norwegian camp, uh, I felt like that was a perfect <laughs> bookend yeah. to this movie. Uh, where you go, you get to go into a little bit of detail on the gore and, and, and yeah, just like the frozen, uh, just everything being frozen solid. And, uh, the, the special Rob Bottin, who did the special effects for this movie, which apparently this movie kind of drove him a little crazy, I guess, because it was so challenging and so difficult, but he put his heart and soul into it. And dare I say, one of the most talented special effects guys ever, uh, he's so good, uh, that this, yeah, this whole set, I wanted to recreate it with my GI Joes back in the day, <laughs> which I did, which I did. That's awesome, dude. That is styrofoam awesome. cuts up really well. I used to cut, take styrofoam pieces, cut them with an exacto knife and like put chairs in there, like doll chairs. I'd go with yeah. my mom to like thrift stores to find doll furniture and we'll put it in there. And, um, and re- and take my Joes and like you know make the certain figures. Oh, I would make the whole cast, and then some guy made a YouTube video, like a thing tribute YouTube video. I remember Joes. that with so that, cool. with yeah yeah, and I think I think he used that uh, that one character that we were trying to figure out what his name was, like Outback or whatever. That yeah. you, I think you even said you used as your McCready, yep. and I think he even did in in that trailer too. Yeah, dude. So good. Uh, I, yeah, so good, man. So fucking good. Um, so Copper and Mac, they bring the dead body, the the mangled one in the middle. They bring it back to the U.S. base camp. Um, everyone kind of gathers around the mangled, burned mess of the corpse. And, you know, Blair's like, all right, he's got to uh, start on an opt- autopsy of it. And then the, it kind of like has a shot of the, the dog sort of quietly watching them. And I, it just – they do such a good job of making the dog just yeah, – Every shot of the dog, man. I I could say it over and over again, but one of the my favorite 
fucking actors in the entire movie is the goddamn dog. And I, and I think he just does a fantastic job of, of being just weird and alien, right? Just yeah. really weird and, and creepy. Yeah. They, good job, dog. Good job, Jed. Uh. You know what's sad? You know what's sad? I mean, Jed's dead. Like Jed, yeah. that dog. Jed's dog's dead, been dead baby. for years. You know what's even sadder? I, I saw someone do this years ago. Like made a meme about it. But like every animal from our childhood movies are dead at this point. Womp, womp, womp. Adds to the bleakness. That's. I, I <laughs> yeah. will. Uh, Jed. Jed yeah, this is, movie put me in that mindset. <laughs> yeah. It worked then. Um, uh, Jed is half wolf, by the way. Oh, he's be- he's beautiful, man. His he is absolutely fucking beautiful. I would love to have that dog. Yeah, not yeah. the not the thing version, <laughs> not the no. alien version. <laughs> no, and and I will say too, as as I'm as we're bringing up like tidbits of info, you know, yeah, Corey and I are always trying to find fun little trivia facts. I remember when we first started recording our the heavy metal episode, and people would comment, "Oh, I want more facts or more trivia about the movies," and we're always digging. We're always digging for something fun. Uh, maybe you've heard before or you haven't heard before, but this movie specifically is chocked full of fun tidbits. And I don't know why. Um, well, I think it just speaks to the fandom around this movie specifically that there's so much fun information to be told and like backstory upon backstory. Corey is, I, I would say he's the master um, universe creator when it comes to like making a movie way better than maybe it is <laughs> uh, where he's like, Oh, but yeah, this happened because of this. And I love that about you, bro. I really do. Uh, and, and I th- definitely take that as a feather in your cap, but this movie has so much backstory already created from John Carpenter, from the actors. Uh, they got so into this movie specifically. So it's it'll be fun to carry on as we move along. And I think that a lot of times successful world building in movies is when you don't know, like you don't see what's happening or they don't specifically tell you, but the actors and thus the characters in the world know what people are talking about. I, I talk about that in... Uh, anytime I talk about Mad Max Fury Road, um, watch that movie with subtitles. You'll see them say so many things in the movie, cool. like like when he kind of like punches it when they're when Mad Max is on the front of the car and they're chasing Furiosa into the storm. His uh, Nux's partner says "Fang it, F A N G, Fang it," and and I'm like, what the heck is that? But He's he's grabbing the he basically just means push it faster, right? Make the car go faster because there are fangs on his clutch or whatever. But the point is is that that character knew what it was and they didn't just say, Oh, make the car go faster. They used a term that only these characters would know. Thus they are creating a world that they don't have to explain, and you don't need to know it. You don't yep. need to know it, but no. the fact that they know it is what makes it built. And I feel like I feel like even though we don't know what McCready's backstory is, I feel like John Carpenter and Kurt Russell discussed it. I feel like yeah. they know what McCready's backstory is. I think they know what Gary, you know, Gary's known, what was it, Fuchs? Or was it Fuchs or Bennings? What? Oh, Bennings. He's known Bennings for 10 years. Yeah. Like, yeah, like 
Gary, the guy, the actor played Gary, he, he had to know that because he got tear, you know, like it just, yeah. it felt like the actors, it felt like they inhabited a, a world that preexists and a world that is real. And that's what makes it even scarier. That's yeah. what makes the movie really work. Yeah. I will, I will say apparently it didn't make it into the film, but, uh, Carpenter and Russell and, and Kurt Russell was not considered, uh, the first choice. Nick Nolte turned this role down by the way. At back in mm. the day, so which would have been an interesting choice. Um, but they they discussed having McCready possibly be like a former Vietnam chopper pilot, uh, yeah, who who had kind of felt displaced. That's why he was in in Antarctica, which you That's know, so cool speaks to kind of this back him being this badass. He's he's been in combat before, so he knows what combat real combat is. You know. Yeah, and, I mean, he handles himself, obviously, very, very well. And like you said, even though they don't, like, call him, like, lieutenant or whatnot, but I guarantee you everyone there knows what McCready's backstory is. Like, they all knew it. And, I mean, that makes sense. If you're a helicopter pilot in the early 80s, you probably got your training, you know, uh, in the military. I mean, most people do get their training of stuff like this in the military, and then yep. they go out, branch out into, uh, you know, other things. And, and it's it's funny, you know, speaking of that, I've been rewatching the Star Wars, Wars movies, but like rewatching A New Hope when Luke says he wants to go to the Academy, like he's referring to like the Imperial Academy because like that's the only game in town to teach you how to fly essentially. And basically every X-Wing pilot in that movie, you know, was a TIE fighter pilot at some point because that's the only way to really sort of learn. So it makes sense in this that McCready probably does have a military background, but they don't call him lieutenant because he's not in the military anymore, you know? Yeah, exactly. Back inside, Windows is still trying to reach somebody, just kind of establishing that. Um, Copper and Blair are performing the autopsy. Uh, Blair kind of starts talking about how the internal organs all look normal, which is interesting because the outside looks so not normal. So the juxtaposition that the internal organs are normal is noteworthy, and that was kind of cool. We cut to Palmer and Childs are smoking that big ass joint in their in their room uh, while they're kind of watching VHS tapes of game shows. Which man, what a shitty like thing to have! Like, because because game shows are only good to watch the first time. Like once you know the answer, it it sucks. But they have game shows to watch. Yeah, and. I- and, and <laughs> That's terrible. That sucks, man. Like, you gotta. I'm sure they have movies. I'm sure they have like a ton of stuff. But why Palmer and Childs would decide to watch game shows? The answer is because they're stoned. They're stoners, <laughs> yeah. and they're just watching stupid shit. Because that's what stoners do. I know. I love when Palmer's like, oh, I know how this one ends already. And uh, yeah, and so <laughs> just like, yeah, I was. I wrote that down. I'm like, what? Don't they have any movies they can watch right now? But they're stuck with watching. <laughs> but they're stoners. Yeah, that's true. Dumb stoners. True. And and then back when they're when they're opening up the uh the, the alien, the initial is this when uh Brimley uh when Blair nope. is like, "Oh, no, that's later when he No, 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 I'm saying like the look of disgust and he's like, "Oh." And yeah, no, no, that's 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 later. Uh that's I believe that's when, with the dog. That's oh, when he that's uh, right. goes yeah. for the dog. And that's when my theory of when he gets infected as well. So, uh we'll get to that. Um but uh so we cut back to the rec room, 
and everyone's kind of doing their thing. Some people are playing poker. Some people are some people are playing pool. Uh, Bennings gets startled because the dog kind of like moves past him or, or whatever, and he tells you know Clark to go put it in the the kennel with with the other dogs, which you know that's that's he should have done that. But Bennings is a little bit of a dick right now because he was shot today. <laughs> He's not in a good mood. <laughs> um, and then of course like so Clark takes the dog uh, to the kennel and he kind of like it's everything is always ominous about the dog and he puts the dog in there and the other dogs are kind of like you know giving this dog a little bit of a side eye but they can sense something's wrong and i like the fact that they're not freaking out yet because it's mimicry is so good that you have to assume it can also mimic pheromones. It's not, I I never thought about this until literally right now, but I guarantee you it's not just mimicking visual aesthetics. It's also probably mimicking scent as well. Meaning like, Zach, if you were the thing, it's so perfect. It's such a perfect mimicry that even like your, your sweat would smell like your sweat. You know what I mean? Like you would smell like you, your inflections when you talk would be exactly the fucking same, which, which is what terrifies me the most about this movie is what's, it's what scares me the most about this. And like other things, I I'm always freaked out when you can, I could communicate to you, right? Like I, if you were the thing I could communicate to you, you and I could have a conversation and then, but then when you go all, you know, thingy, like, why can I not communicate with you then, right? Like, why can I not implore you to, like, not, you know, eat me or whatever? It's because when we were communicating, it was a mimicry of communication. We yeah. weren't actually communicating, even though you could have, as the thing, you could have your own original ideas. You could, but it's still a mimicry of your own original ideas. Is, is You know what I'm saying? And yeah. that's what ultimately freaks me out the most also what freaks me out too is like you know if you get taken over cellularly like blair does when do you stop being you when you know what i mean when do you become the thing it's that whole body horror stuff that that um that crap uh uh cronenberg loves right it's it's the loss of control of your body and all of that just just freaks me out i didn't know where to better insert it but that that's that's my feelings on why this movie just terrifies the fuck out of me yeah and apparently too there there's a little bit of a um according to some of the fun facts that the, the, the aids crisis started coming out around this time with the whole blood angle and, oh yeah and that was oh, yeah. uh apparently not uh john carpenter was aware of that so there that's why there's this paranoia around like the blood and and then we can all be you don't know who's infected and at any time because it, it, it's 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 inside your body breaking your body down. Yeah, man, I didn't even put that together. Growing up in the '80s was a big fucking deal, and you know we were obviously we were younger when this came out, so we're probably not aware of some of the the zeitgeisty stuff that's happening at the time. But yeah, this play, oh, god damn, another layer, another layer of this film that I never even picked up on. I always sort of knew about the communist thing and about you not really knowing who's a per, you know who's a communist and who's not. But yeah, dude, like who has AIDS and who doesn't? That that actually works more. This actually works, I think, better as an allegory for that than it does for the whole communism thing. Yep. Uh, fan fucking tastic. Absolutely fan fucking tastic. So the dog is in there, and of course, like right when Clark kind of leaves the room, the dog does his his thingy thing and and starts going crazy with the tentacles and the crab legs popping out and the the famous 
um, flower blossoming Oof. of the face Oof. and and the skull sort of falling out of Oof. it. Yeah. I'm just like, God, that's amazing. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. Uh, the dogs are like fucking freaking out and everything. And I always felt bad for that one dog that gets sprayed. And I felt bad for the like the actor dog because he was clearly like hated hated like sort of like being sprayed. But that yeah. was like gross, like acid spray or whatever. Well, first of all, it, it's so crazy that this dog is uh, ripping the, the 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 chain link uh, fence yeah. off with his teeth. And it's so it, it, and I remember what, just when I watched it the other night and, and having this feeling of like, man, that is such an awesome moment to show because he's like so desperate and he's going to do whatever he can to get out. And yeah, yeah, when he gets hosed by that by that KY jelly, it's just like, oh, God, no one would like getting hosed <laughs> by that, whether you're a dog or a human. Uh, but apparently the, 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 the barking that goes on and the howling and that sound was created by the sound editor who rounded up all, all these dogs in, in his house and would run around the house, like run around outside of the house, tapping on the windows with like a dark trench coat on to freak the dogs out and re- would record it that way. So that's how he got this like authentic sound, which is really cool. Uh, but yeah, that it's so beyond gory and it's the first like full on display of Rob Bottin's magic that he, that he created on screen. And I will say, I guess Stan Winston had to take over at some point because uh, Bottin was, I uh, had to go to the hospital for exhaustion Oh, oh, he pulled he pulled a George Lucas on A New Hope then. Like basically it it ran him ragged. I can yeah. I mean I can see why every every shot with the the special effects is amazing in this. Yeah. I always loved how the tentacles come out. You can tell that Ooh. it was kind of like filmed in reverse where the tentacles but it, it's such a it's such a great effect, yeah. you know? Like the tentacles coming out, the the dog, the head, the even later when the hands come. It's all so fucking awesome. Yeah. And and yeah, as as like the first sort of display of the creature of the thing's ability it just it holds up it's shocking every time i see it it's shocking every time that dog's head blossoms open it's it's grotesque and beautiful at the same time um basically clark hears what the fuck's happening so he he comes back in you know he's like holy shit you know <laughs> um and he, you know you get like just a little bit of a reaction but then mccready hears just it's not just howling man it's it's otherworldly it's it's terror it's dogs it's just he i mean it's to the point where you know that it's bad when he immediately has to hit the the fire alarm because he, like this isn't good like whatever's making that noise it, i mean for all he knew it could be a goddamn windigo right yeah but like it it just was so startling to him that he was like look fire alarm right like i always thought that was kind of cool like he could have been like what is that? But it was such a grotesque noise. Yeah, it's so that grotesque. He, just, he knew it was bad, right? Yeah, yeah there's something wrong here. Something wrong. I, yeah. I, I do want to point out, too, by the way, that apparently this whole scene in the dog cage, uh, this was done by Stan Winston. Um, okay. And, 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 and this is kind of when he took over. So I don't know as far as when the filming, like they probably filmed this movie out of sequence, but he did Obviously. a lot of that. Yeah, but yeah, that, that okay. sound is so intense. And, and, uh, and Clark, yeah, Clark being like the dog lover, it makes sense. Every every choice makes sense in this film. Yeah, every choice is not done as like a movie choice. You're not, you're never like, oh, that's stupid. Why did they do that? 
And yeah, maybe they do make a stupid choice, but it's just because it was the only choice that they really could make at that point. Yeah, and agreed. everyone makes choices based on on what, like you said, what I think the character would really make the choices based on. Yep. I I think that all the characters stay true to their character the entire time, and you kind of have to do it that way because this whole movie, at its core, is it's a paranoia paranoia film about characters. So any slip up. You could say, oh, that he's the thing at this point. And John Carpenter could be like, oh, fuck, he's not. We just kind of messed up. No, they they knew that they had to that the the, the characters being true to themselves is the foundation of this film. And it's because the creature can mimic everyone perfectly down to their personalities and therein lies the terror. Yeah, exactly. And, and it and it would not work if these characters were not fully realized the way that they are and stick to their fully realized forms, basically. So we kind of get the, I even have my, my notes. I say the whole gang, <laughs> the whole gang meets up with uh, Clark in the kennel. And uh, you know, it's just, it's crazy. We get a shot. Bennings comes running in, tells Childs uh, that Mac wants the flamethrower. Yeah. And, and Childs is like, what? You know, Mac wants the what? You know, and uh, which, which I think is great. I like the fact that it wasn't just Mac saying, go get the flamethrower. I like that we see Bennings run in because you, then you see the panic on Bennings face. You see the confusion on child's face because there is a disconnect between the person making the request and the person who has to fulfill the request you know what i mean like that right there is perfect genius i I know this is a dumb thing to sort of to sort of hone in on and and maybe inconsequential but it was a choice to do that and the choice is fucking perfect because if it was Mac asking Childs for it, like, you know what I mean? Like, he could have just, like, he explained it. But because it wasn't, there's that disconnect. And, and we get that great reaction from Childs. Like, what? And it's, be- and it's because, like, a fucking flamethrower? Like, yeah. what the fuck is happening? Well, up to What this- a great fucking setup. Well, up to this point, outside of the f- crazy helicopter attack, they've normalcy has taken place up there. So they're not used to anything out of the ordinary happening and... And now all the shit's just going to hit the fan. Yeah, no, you're right. Like, human nature, like, you would think, okay, weird shit happened. But, dude, human nature kicks in. And, yeah, like, they're they're clearly, right from the get-go, they're living in some kind of weird scenario. But, you know, they did, for a brief moment fall back into normality and and they let their guard down and you know it it will not they will not have any kind of respite after after this moment for the rest of the film but uh yeah good good point man like just human nature kicked in they just like back to normal right and it was just like the calm before the storm because now shit is literally hitting the fan (laughs) (laughs) um so uh, uh, so we cut back. We see basically everyone sees now the dog consuming the other dog, the one that was like acidized, you know, and everything. And Mac gets – he has a shotgun with him. And uh, he starts shooting at the thing, but it grows and it kind of does this thing like where it puts its arms up into the ceiling to try to sort of get away or, yeah. or whatever. So gross. Um, but – 
Yeah, it's so it's so gross. Like it just uses these these alien arms, and you know you gotta wonder. You see some weird shit in this movie. You gotta wonder if it's some of the other alien life forms that yep. it's it's assimilated over time. So you're actually getting little glimpses of other alien life forms in there. So like maybe those hands were some kind of alien life form that it that it used and said, you know what, in this moment. I need to draw on that power, right? Like that—that's the what—that's what I need right now. Yep. But Childs, Childs torches it with the flamethrower as it's trying to get away. Um, flipping sides of my notes here. Uh, oh, and one thing we kind of missed uh, in this was when McCready was was shooting at the thing. He also uh, shoots one of the dogs that's kind of like being, you know, sort of taken over, which I thought was a mercy shot on on his part. But Clark kind of like freaks out and, and grabs, you know, McCready's gun. But but then then Childs comes in and, and torches the creature. So but uh, yeah. And, <clears throat> and yeah, I, I, I had a moment with this when they torched him because later on in the movie. I feel like they make up for it, but when they torch him, they immediately come in with, um, what do you call it? Uh, the sting, fi- the fire extinguishers. Fire extinguishers. Thank you. And they immediately come in with the extinguishers, and I'm like, wait, I would have let that shit sit a little longer, you know, just make sure it's dead. They are in a an yeah. entire wood building, though. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Very true. And, and also, they, they still don't quite know what they're dealing with. True. So, you know, they, they can assume that it's dead. But because we have not, we don't know that every cell in this creature is basically its own uh, creature. So I no, think yeah. I, I'm with you. They should have let it linger longer because the scene we're going into is where I believe Blair gets infected. And you are 100% correct. If, it, if they let the fire linger longer on it, I think it would have burned it all up and... Honestly, that would have been the end of the movie. Yeah, uh, almost, almost at that point. Yeah. Um, well, no, there's still the there's still the other body that's gonna. Yeah. Um. So we do cut to the scene that you kind of alluded to earlier. This is the one where Blair is like looking like he's gonna throw up. I love this as scene. he's like, <laughs> and Gary too. He's like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I, I even, I mean, like, dude, I, it's very few times when I have to touch something gross. Yeah. And in my head, <laughs> I'm either miming uh, Venkman's reaction in the library at the beginning of Ghostbusters where he's wiping his hands with the slime. He's like, oh, ugh. or I'm doing Blair from this. And I'm just like, oh, oh. but in my head, I'm like, I'm, I know that I'm doing, you know, Blair, <laughs> an impression of Blair oh, here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Why. I for some reason uh, I love in in comedies when people do fake like throwing up sounds or like you know about to throw up. And uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Sweet D does a, a great version of that. But uh, anyways, yeah, I, um, that, it that is that gross. Gets, well, <laughs> that gets me uh, so. So fun fact for those that don't know it, my wife Kristen is is like mortified with the sound of like anyone saying blood or anything blood related, and so she won't even say the word anymore. She'll just be like, "Huh." So I had to go to the uh, I had to go to the uh, you know I get my, my physical or whatever, and she's like, "Did you get your ha drawn?" <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" And then Bodie, my son Bodie was there. He's like, "Did you get your ha <laughs> So... So now instead of, you know, using that word, we were like, uh, you know, it's a horror on it. So <laughs> she, she's, she's, she's Blair. Yeah, she's, 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 she's Blair. Wolf <laughs> 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 oh, 
but uh, so this scene right here, I I want to address, and I don't know if it's been corroborated online or whatever, but. I feel that this is when Blair gets infected. So there's after he's kind of um, almost going to throw up, um, he, they kind of do like a, a, a close up shot of a pen. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and the pen is touching the creature. He's kind of like sort of like tapping it. And the next shot, he's like he's like explaining to them like what's happening and everything. And he puts the pen to his mouth while he's he's talking. Yep. And he's talking about how he's like, you know, right there, he's like, that's not dog, that's imitation, right? Like like it was in the process of doing this and that, blah, blah, blah. But as a as a filmmaker, you know that every shot is important because it takes time to set them up, yada, yada, yada. So why did they have the camera shot? They have the, obviously they sh- the cameras on the creature, the thing. Sure, no problem. But why is he tapping, like pointing it out with his with his and then it's not like it's the same camera shot they they do a different setup of Blair walking around and he's tapping it to his lower lip and you could say that that's a that was just a a character choice by the actor but I think that that was intentional I do personally think that that was intentional I know I do too and and I didn't really think about that until after you pointed that out to me um that was one that was what we bonded over when we first kind of got to know each other i spit that theory out at you because i figured you you were the only person that would appreciate it but i i came to the conclusion of that theory like at at around that same time meaning like for me i figured that like later like later in my life meaning like within the last like 15 years i i sort of picked up on that have you heard anything about it have they ever mentioned when blair got infected no i haven't found anything on that on that theory, which is really interesting okay. to me. They, they bring up a lot of other theories. They bring up the, the blood theory that we'll get to later, the ha-ha theory, uh, <laughs> you know, with all the in, in, the, in the refrigerator. Uh, but, yeah, I, I've never found out that one specifically, which I, which I find really interesting uh, to me. So, yeah, it's cool. It's, it's a, it's a, well, I love it. I would love to, to hear what the fans think. So if you guys have your theory, if you think uh, uh, my theory about Blair does or doesn't hold water, uh, please you know leave a message on our Instagram or Facebook or Reddit, where, you know wherever you are most active, and uh, chime in. Let us know what you think. And if you have an alternate theory of, of where you think Blair uh, gets it uh, or gets infected, just uh, let us know. Let's, let's have a f- – I think this – the thing that I like most about this movie is I like the theory discussion. That's that's my favorite part of this film and trying to figure out who got turned where and 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 whatnot and um, and so this one's mine that that one's just mine but the point of of that scene is for Blair to basically explain that what we're looking at you know what happened was is that the creature was trying to absorb the dogs and in thus doing so going to mimic it because, you know, he cuts it open. He finds basically a half formed dog and he's like, he would have just, he would have, you know, mimicked and that was it. Right. And, but that's not dog, you know, that's imitation. And every time he says imitation, I always think of imitation crab. I <laughs> know. <laughs> God. Oh, no, oh, I, I, I used to dip that shit yeah. in butter. So, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so now we have, uh, so Blair's kind of on a little bit of a, you know, he's doing his own sort of investigation and we have a scene of him sort of talking to, to Clark. 
and about you know hey about the dog and you know how, how where you know how long till he put it you know into the kennel and you know he's just basically Blair's trying to piece it together he, he you know obviously he's he's the guy that's following the breadcrumbs essentially yep. even though it's it's interesting because Coppers was the one that went to the Norwegian camp with McCready but Blair is sort of the one that's doing the breadcrumbs here and trying to figure it out and this is when they really start peppering in that you know you, you that Clark is, is probably the thing they, they really, he's the biggest red herring in, in the entire movie. I think that yeah. they try to build up. Yeah. They really set that up really well with making him the, the, the whole time. You're like, Oh, it's gotta be him. It's gotta be him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, like if you know, movies, the fact that they're pushing it hard, that it's gotta be him, you know, it's not gonna be him. Yeah. But at the same time, again, it makes logical sense. So it's not just a movie trope. It's the logical outcome that Blair would come to in this situation, which is, so you're the dog guy. You were around it the most. Did you notice anything weird? You know, uh, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's, it's where the character would have logically gone to. And that's what makes this movie so fucking awesome. Yeah, totally, totally agree. (laughs) <laughs> to- totes with it that be is that uh a totes magoats totes magoats uh so now things start to get a little bit sci-fi in the and again i have uh the gang i refer to them in my uh notes as the gang start going through the the norwegian you know tapes and they're they're looking for something they're trying to look uh you know what are they gonna find yada 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 and they they mention like they got like thousands of hours or some like high number of hours of tape to to go through but luckily they stumble upon the scene almost immediately of the norwegians finding you know the ufo yeah uh right there and they're like you know like what what is that you know and you know so like like they kind of can't figure out what it is but they can tell that that it's something big that was in the ice that was discovered so mac and norris and Gary kind of all get in the helicopter. Gary. And Gary, which <laughs> I had to actually go back and look and see who they said was going because Gary's like wearing his full like mask the entire time. Yeah. I couldn't even tell who the fuck that was. Yeah, you couldn't tell. Um no, no, he was completely bundled up. Um, you could see Norris's face, and then of course McCready has has his hat on. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I couldn't tell that that was that was Gary at all. But they basically fly out to to a giant UFO that you know the um, the Norwegians kind of dug up, and through a little bit of dialogue, you know, we find out that due to the level of ice that it's in, uh, that it's been there, it could be there for about a hundred thousand years, right? And then they kind of, like, find the spot where the alien had crawled out from the ship. And it's, like, you know, it's, like, a good, like, maybe, like, 50 yards away from the ship. But they find that little square in the ground where where the Norwegians dug up the body. So that's kind of, like, how far out that the alien made it. And I like the fact that, like, this is kind of all that we get about the UFO. Like, there's really nothing else to it. But I love the fact that it's not... How cool is it that it's not recent? How cool is it that it's like a hundred thousand years old? Yeah, yeah. yeah like it, 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 it 
they could have easily had made it been like, you know, I don't know, the last 20 years. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But like the fact that it's like 100,000 years old, just that number makes it just a little bit more interesting. You're like, oh, that's really fucking cool, you know? Yeah. And, and the set itself is beautiful. Like that matte painting that they have. Uh, and, and, and there's that company, Last Exit, Last Exit to Nowhere, they make fun like t-shirt movie themed t-shirts and hats and stickers and patches and whatnot but they they do like a series of christmas card uh images and they do one where they took the shot of mac and uh, norris and gary looking at the the um the alien kind of ship and they put it like you know it says happy holidays and they change that with like a with a with a cabin or something in the woods and uh <laughs> it's so nice. cool because it, it's such a great uh image and yeah i just love the the backstory that you have with this and again that speaks to carpenters the maestro of john carpenter he's such a great world builder with his with his stories they're so fascinating you just want to keep going deeper and deeper and know like you want to see another movie i want to see a movie that's set in prehistoric times with fucking dinosaurs when this thing first crashes uh and maybe there's other things that we'll, we we don't know about yet you know yeah i love all it's that it's cool they didn't have they didn't have to go down that road but they did and yep. it's and it's fantastic i i absolutely love it and i mean they didn't even have to show any of that no, and they but, and they did and 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 then they don't lean into it meaning like they just give it to you and that's it. And again, that's another, it's just another thing in, for the characters. I mean, they don't know anything more. So yep. what else is there to even, you know, talk about? Um, but it is what it is. And it's, and, and we as a viewer and like the characters in the movie, you just got to deal with it. Like even I think McCready's like, what the fuck do you want from me later? You know, like, <laughs> I don't know anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like, like immediately, you know, they go back to base camp and, you know, they're obviously talking about, you know, what's happening. And yeah, this is when, you know, some, they kind of like start leaning towards mccready for answers and he just all of a sudden fires back he's like Fuck, i don't know you know what yeah, i mean I like I, I i'm same as you guys right and I, I like that because also it's it's human nature for us to want to to look to somebody with the answers I, well, and ain't nobody got answers palmer palmer's got an answer when he's like it's chariots of the gods <laughs> The, the the you know they they practically own South America. They taught the Incans everything they knew. Well, and that, I, I mean, that, I, that's a legit uh, reference too. By the way, yeah, so. oh, of course, dude. Oh, bro, bro, I'm a big Ancient Aliens viewer. Uh, I've watched all 13 seasons. I everything that he's saying uh, about Chariots of the Gods and Von Daniken and stuff. Oh yeah, I mean that. Just, I mean, whoever wrote the screenplay or not, whoever, but you know the screenwriter and Carpenter, they. They knew their shit. Like, that was, like, yeah. real shit. And at the time, that book, Chariots of the Gods, was a big deal at the time. Like, right around there, it was it was in the zeitgeist. It was. And, and I was going to say that at, during this time, there was a show on PBS called In Search Of, with, and it was yeah. narrated by Leonard Nimoy. And they did an episode called Chariots of the Gods where they broke all this down. And just having Leonard Nimoy narrate this uh creepy kind of alien-esque thing was was uh just added to the it came out around the exact same time too so i remember just making this more eerie but i i did want to point out because palmer has that awesome line uh do you know that rob botin at one point wanted to be palmer he wanted to be he wanted to play palmer oh okay nice i didn't know this but he played blake in the fog uh the pirate uh, and, and, oh, okay. And so, and so he he was kind of petitioning to be Palmer in this, and uh, a couple people like threatened to 
to, to quit the film if he did because they knew how extensive the special effects were going to be. And they're like, dude, you, you can't, I'm paraphrasing, but they're like, you can't go, you can't play one of the main characters in the movie and do the special effects too. You're going to blow your brains out, which, you know, he almost did yeah. in a way. Yeah, which they were right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they, they saw the writing on the wall. <laughs> right, so there you go. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, we get uh, Nalls comes in complaining that someone <laughs> threw up their nasty, <laughs> threw their nasty, ripped up uh, drawers <laughs> away. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but yeah, so so now we get a little bit of a clue that something's happening that that someone threw away their ripped up underwear and, and, and nasty ass ripped up underwear in his in his clean kitchen and stopped doing that. You at first you're like. Yeah, you don't really know what that is, right? Yeah. And, and it's it's a little clue as to something that's going on. Uh, we then cut to now a shot of, a, of like an old 8-bit computer, like an old Commodore, uh, running a simulation showing you how the alien cells basically take over a person's body. Uh, and here's the thing. Bla- and and this, this is what lends credence to my belief that Blair is the one that is infected in that scene because at the beginning of this shot, you see the pen is right next to the computer when he's talking about the alien nice. cells taking yep. over the human cells. I think that that's telling you right there what the fuck happened to Blair. Yep. And 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 I, I have an I have a theory later of when he turns completely. But right now he's he's realizing that how fast it takes the creature to basically take somebody over. And it's funny that he's using a stopwatch to time the program, whereas you know you would build build a timer into a program like that. You know what I mean? Like there would be a timer built in. It would tell you exactly how long it, it would take, which it does tell you later yeah. or in a few seconds about how long it would take the whole entire Earth. So it should tell you. He didn't have he didn't have to do it, but it was like a film thing. And he's he's an old dude, so probably computers to him are like a little bit new. So he's like, I'll just time it with my uh, my stopwatch or whatever. Uh, well, apparently there's a whole debate about this online. It was kind of debunked by Carpenter where. He just commented that they, they, they didn't get the right, they didn't quite get it right. Uh, and that the life cycle and, and everything, the timing was off. They, uh, it doesn't, <laughs> quote, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so that's what he said. Yeah. Uh, so so I think that, you know, it, it just, the, 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 the scene itself didn't get pulled off as well as he had hoped it would. Uh, that's why it's so, there's so much confusion around it. Like, well, why did he use this? And why did he, it just, it, it just didn't come across that way. Uh, well, and, well what's which is which is funny because I have no problems with this scene whatsoever. I don't either. Uh, I don't either. For for me, for me, there's nothing that doesn't hold up or or track. But yeah, I haven't crunched the numbers, so I don't know. But as a scene in the movie. I think it works just fine, and it does what it's supposed to do, which is now create the sense of urgency. Now, in this little 8-bit window screen, we learn that the entire world is at stake here. We're not talking just these these people. We're talking about the entire world because, you know, two things we learn is that uh, it's there's a 75% chance one or more of the members of the team are infected. Yep. And we also learned that uh, upon first contact, the entire world would be infected in like 27,000 hours, right, after first contact. Yep. And great. I, okay, fine, if that doesn't match up. I, I don't care. It's still, it's like, it, it gives you this like, 
just like holy shit right like the stakes are very very high here they're not low at all and which is really cool and and when i was younger i mean i knew it but i didn't get that sense of urgency as i do now right and maybe it's because when you're younger you also don't have a a bigger sense of the world you only sort of have your own sort of sense of the world and i was more afraid for the people in the movie but you watch it now and you're like fuck dude like if you're blair and you're seeing that yeah, like what he does later, even though maybe it's it's spurred by a little bit of craziness of maybe there's a voice in his head of the creature taking him over. But what he's doing is is like fucking trying to protect the fucking world, man. Yeah, I was. And I'm oh, sorry. I was just 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 the. You know, like, like not, uh, ignorance is bliss. Like he now has the knowledge of what's happening, and it fucking drives him insane. You know. Yeah. It. it and I. I love timelines in movies, and I always have as a kid. I don't know why, and I might have talked about this on the Invasion USA episode or maybe another one, but I just love when there's this sense of urgency, like you've got to do something before time runs out. And it's sometimes it's done really, um, uh, really weakly, uh, case in point that Johnny Depp movie where he had like nine hours or whatever to do something, uh, or the movie's filmed over an hour and a half and it's like 90 minutes or what, I don't know. Uh, or, or something like this where you've got, the time is ticking away. If you don't get this shit done now, then we're we're all screwed. I love that. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm totally with you, buddy. It creates a ticking clock, and as long as that ticking clock, because <laughs> I hate it when when in a movie they say that there's like a minute and a half left yeah. on the bomb, yeah. and there's like twenty minutes of movie in between that and when it counts down to like you know zero. Yeah, I, that, I hate that. Yeah, that was my uh that was my example. <laughs> yeah, the, like I I hate when they're oh, we've got 30 seconds left and 20 minutes go by. 5 more yeah. seconds. <laughs> and <laughs> and there's no technically ticking clock here, no. but there is. And that's what's that's what's cool about it because as they lose another person every time, it's almost like the 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 minute hand, right? Like when until the, they get down to one person, the 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 characters in the movie are the clock, are the clock ticking down as they disappear one by one. And the set too. I think about like I think about how long they've been because there is a there is a detachment of time which we can talk about. We'll talk about more later when Blair gets, you know, put in his, in his shack. But uh, there's this idea that a lot of time has passed. You know, it's not just one day or a couple hours. We're talking like a few days go by. Yeah. And this happens. Yeah. Few, uh, a week goes by. This happens. And so as the, as the time goes by, a lot of time has passed. And I think about as they're, as they're slowly burning up one area of the, of the base and another area of the base where they're blowing this part up and they're like, well, they're not going to have, they're going to need to survive uh, at some point. <laughs> they can't trash the entire site. Yeah. Well, until later when McCready until the end, says yeah. none of us are going to yeah, survive this. Yeah. And I, I always, and I will get to that, you know, some uh, later in the, in the episode, but I do always love that when Me too. I love the, the man on fire scenario where your main character kind of like you know what i mean like the payoff is that the main character is dead at the end yeah but they still fought and did everything they could up until that point to do the right thing and to save the day i like it when main characters save the day and then die at the end i think that's really fucking cool is that a reference to the uh denzel washington movie yeah so yeah yeah the uh the the best punisher film ever made up until the punisher tv show so you want to know a fun fact about that movie really quick side note sure that, that's actually sure. a remake 
Yes, yeah, it's a remake of his own damn movie from like a few years prior. Well, no, there's a Scott Glenn movie from 1987 oh. called Man on Fire. Oh, but I know that he he also remade it again, right? Because didn't yeah. Ridley Scott do the first one? Okay, so it wasn't with Denzel, but Ridley Scott made the first Man on Fire, and then he remade it with Denzel, right? Yeah, yeah, dude, it's crazy. Like that's crazy. Yeah. That's that's a weird weird thing. Anyways, um, sorry. And then we get a a little shot of Mac sort of. You know, checking the shredded clothes that Nalls found. He's kind of like examining it and you know, he's so he knows something's up. He's he's kind of aware of, of something shady happening. Um we have a we we see Windows and Bennings are now moving the body that they found from the Norwegian camp. They're moving that burnt up nasty husk of a body to it's not a it's not an outdoor shed but it's like an extension of the building but it's looks like a room that's not um like you know it's not like heated like you, you sort of need uh, uh it's it's a room that's still a little bit cold it seems like it's it's almost like an extended closet but it's not quite a shed because it's attached uh to the building so it's they, like they max move area the body though. Isn't it Max area? No, that's not Max's shed. It's it's uh it's it's not. Um, and I when I was younger, I kind of thought that it was, but it's just like it's like a and it's not the tool shed either where they put Blair. It's just a different room that's kind of like I don't know, like an entrance room that has stuff for for you know shelving or whatever. Yeah. But I got the sense that it was a little bit colder in that room, but not cold enough though to keep the thing from you know apparently unthawing. Not. Yeah, apparently not. Um, so Fuchs wants to talk to Mac outside, even, and, you know, because Bennings is kind of like looking at him, giving him a little bit of a side eye, but Fuchs comes up to Mac and is like, I want to talk to you outside. Uh, Windows says they should burn the body, you know, but I, I like what Bennings says. He's like, what, burn the, the fine of the century? Like, yeah. yeah. Like he, Bennings is still thinking like a scientist. He says someone's going to win the Pulitzer for this. Yep. And yeah, th- th- again, it, Again, this is you're like, oh, as a viewer, you're like, oh, no, the creature's still alive because you see it move or whatever. But you think of a science, think like a scientist. He first off, dead is dead. Right. You don't think that at a cellular level that they're all going to be coming back to life or whatever. You thinking dead is dead. And then your second thought is as a scientist, this is the fucking the find of the century. This is an alien fucking life form. You don't burn it. Right? No, and, and, and not everybody understands yet fully what this thing is doing. Which is great because, you know, as us watching it for the millionth time, we know what the stakes are. We know it's happening. But if you just watch it and you're in this moment right here, they're not aware of the danger that they're in at this no. point. They, they are aware of, like, I think some of the stuff, but not, not all of it. Yeah. Um, we have a shot of, like, you know, windows leaving Bennings uh, while the creature, like, starts to move under the tarp, which is, you know, a great a great shot. I always Love like that, that shot. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, outside, Fuchs is talking to Mac um, about Blair acting weird. Uh, Fuchs starts reading Blair's notes about how the dead bodies aren't dead yet. So now we're starting to, to find that out. Uh, and then windows... Then we, you know, right after that, we get Windows walking in on the creature, basically starting to assimilate Benning. So when yeah. Windows Ooh. left the room, the creature basically sprung a lot, sprung to life, and and probably used his tentacles to to grab Benning's and like pull him backwards. But oh, I always hated it because it's like his body's sitting there while the like yeah. the tentacles are all in it, and he's kind of like twitching. Yeah. So here's my question to you. 
in this particular case, and then okay, let me let me let me ask you this when we when we kind of finish the whole Bennings thing. Let me I want to ask you something. Um, so Windows runs outside to let Fuchs and and you know Mac know about what's happening. Uh, uh, but then they go back inside and Bennings is gone. Uh, and then they basically, they realize he's gone outside, so they chase him down, and he kind of falls to the ground, even though he, Bennings is running from them. He kind of falls to his knees, and the gang, or a few of the members, it's it's Mac, it's Fuchs, it's, you know, I think it's uh, Windows, they kind of, like, are around him, and they're, like, saying, don't touch him, you know, and you see that his hands are all like fucking weird looking and like mid transformation. And I love how he just looks at Mac and just opens his mouth and does a roar, you know, and they, the actor who plays Bennings does a great job of having no humanity in his eyes. When he looks at Mac and he turns his head and looks at Mac, he has like, he doesn't have any like, like humanity there. So, So, my question to you is, did the creature didn't suck ben- Bennings in and then poop out this version? This is still, like, mostly Bennings' body, right, with with the creature, like, inside of it working around and shifting it and changing it inside. Yeah. Yeah, because, Am I correct in yeah, that assumption? Yeah, because they do that to Windows later in the movie uh, when he oh, gets— Oh, yeah, correct, yeah. So, yeah, because it, it, I, I used to— have this theory i'm like wait are they like shred are they ripping all your clothes off and then you've got to start all over but then it it, it evolves in different ways like it it i took it as like it, it can it can transform you in different ways depending on what it needs to do like at that point it kind of because he's like shirtless and all kind of you know consumed so he had a chance to put his clothes back on and then kind of run out and escape um well, his pa- he still had his pants on. He was only, like, shirtless when he was getting yeah, tentacles. That's you what I'm know? saying. So, like, he, But he had to put his jacket back on, you know, when he ran mm-hmm. out into the into the snow. So so he had the wherewithal. He wasn't fully done yet. But, yeah, he had done it from the inside. That's my, my take. Okay. Yeah, that, that that's my take, too, that that's, like, still the husk of Bennings, the essentially, with, with the inside kind of hollowed out in, in the thing in there. Uh, they burn... Bennings, and then they decide to kind of like burn the rest of the bodies in in a big fire pit, um, and they're all sort of standing outside, you know, because now everyone's sort of aware of what's going on, you know, uh, they they everyone's there except for Blair, Blair. and they realize that Blair isn't with them. Um, everyone kind of goes back inside. McCready's kind of like, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of taking his time to go back into the place, but by doing so, he sees Blair leaving the cockpit of the helicopter and he doesn't really know what's happening, but, um, he goes in there and he checks it out and the helicopter cockpit is destroyed. And then Mac hears a gunshot. So inside, Blair is destroying all the communication equipment. And I always loved how Wolfer Brimley delivered these lines. He's like, <laughs> you think you want it to be a dog? You want it to be us? You know, and I, I just like, I love the intensity of that. And, you know, he's, he's, he's like, he's destroying everything and he's just going crazy and windows. He clearly like knocked windows across the head. <laughs> yeah. It's just, he fucks shit up. 
Uh, my wife thought he was his acting was kind of funny. Windows is especially after all this when Windows he kind of like slumps back down. Oh, you know, yeah. Fuchs, Fuchs, <laughs> and Windows have great moments because right after they take down Blair and and McCready like beats the shit out of him. A few Fuchs goes great, <laughs> great hit McCready, and then like he's like he slumps back, and then you see Windows slump down too. It's re- it's a, it's a really funny moment, but that's that's classic Carpenter in my opinion. He's got such a great sense of timing uh, when when the humor fits properly you know all the little lines that lead up to this scene that are supposed to be funny are so intentional it's it's so intentional because and that is like a textbook awesome filmmaking in my opinion well i think the funniest part in the scene is when mccready is punching blair and they have those fantastic (laughs) yeah that's sound effects that are just like straight out of like batman from the 60s like it's it's the most like it's the most generic punching sound yeah like if you literally type into google punching sound yeah. and this is the sound you would get yeah it's, it's hilarious but yeah they had to drive it home i i get what john carpenter did there and this whole scene is great i i liked how they did it i liked how uh mac you know used the the the, the table and everything um but you basically you, you the the what ha- at the end of it like the goal of the whole scene is to the communications equipment is now destroyed um blair we all think that blair is off his rocker but he's told everyone you know basically he was telling everyone what the fuck's happening while he was destroying the place you know he's like the dog he's like it came here on purpose. It it would never make it, you know, whatever he said, like 12,000 miles to the coast yeah. as a dog. It wanted to be us, you know, and, and I like that. I like the fear in his voice, but at the same time, like he's losing his shit because I think the creature is taking him over, but yeah. he's fighting it, you know, like, and you never see it, but I, you wonder what that's like. Is he like our thoughts? Like, is he just losing like control of his thoughts? Is the creature giving him different thoughts does he hear a voice in his head like you know like i feel like something is happening there but um it, it's it's really 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 cool i really very much enjoy it yeah the theory the the idea that it can it can transfer itself in many different ways is is it's a cool way to play out because like the blood test later on when it scurries off after he touches it you know the the flame or whatever it's clearly it, it can move in many different ways yeah yeah and it only takes one molecule to take you over or one cell yeah to to eventually take you over so it's it's great I, I fucking i just i love it man so they basically they take blair out to the tool shed and they lock him up um and and blair's a little bit more lucid right now because i think they doped him up a little bit so yeah. he's, he's a little bit more con um, it's funny because he shouldn't be conscious but he's a little bit more focused uh, uh a bit and he says you know watch out for for clark again Trying to push in the Clark thing. That's the alien talking potentially. Yes. Yes. I think, I think right there, I, you know what I think? He's not, I don't think Blair is a hundred percent the alien at this point, but what I think happened is that they doped up the, uh, human version of Blair is now asleep and gone. And the alien version is now talking to them saying, watch out for Clark and thus creating a bit of what subterfuge and, and a bit of like a little bit of a little, little chaos. He's, he's a little bit of the Joker, right? Yeah. He's just plants a little seed of chaos. That's in right. There. That's right. And, and that's cool. And you know what? Me saying the whole thing about Blair being like the human side of Blair now gone because of the doped upness. I didn't come up to with that until just this second like that. And that's what I love about talking about these movies with you is like if we hadn't been having this conversation, I never would have thought of that because you said 
that this is that's the alien Blair saying it, and I was like, oh shit, you're right, and this this makes and how how would that track? And I, dude, I, I don't know, I just I love it. I love having these conversations with you. We we say it every time, but it's it's fun. We we're giving each other hand movements, jerk off motions, job yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, handsies motions. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> oh man. Um. So outside, they're kind of like discussing, you know, who would be infected. Uh, it's um. It's not everyone, but it's like it's 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 like Mac and and Copper and whatnot. And um, Fuchs, and, and Fuchs Copper right? Suggests that, and yeah, I think Fuchs is there. And Copper suggests they can they can use a, a blood test and that there's whole blood in storage. And uh, you know, I think he said like we can combine them and you know see how it reacts. But you know, he has an idea for what they can they can possibly do. But he mentions that they have whole blood in storage. So of course, the next shot, the next scene is going to be. The locker that the whole blood was in is now like oozing with blood and and whatnot, and you find out that uh, it's been tampered with, and the blood bags are all destroyed. So somebody knew the plan and did that, and basically, you know, this is when distrust starts just peppering in, and no one trusts anyone. It's basically full on paranoia because they're they're talking to who has who had the key to it gary's the only one that has the key but then copper's the only one that would know to go into it yada but basically it's just no one trusts each other so there's a theory about this because i i was always for 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 years i was like how did they get into the blood right and if if cop if gary's the only one with the key how do they get into the blood and so uh i I along I, I read this online as well, and I'm like it backed up my thought because the thing can manipulate and and move its body in many different ways uh, with like tentacles and whatnot, and and it worked its way up inside the seal because the blood. Oh. It, so so this is so this is the theory that I I, I love this theory. So it used its shape shifting ability to reach up through the door right and like slice the bot the blood bags. Because when they open the when they open it, the blood's it's, only it's locked. The... Yeah, it's locked, and and it's lo- first of all, it's locked, and it's it's only starting to flow out from. So it had just it just it had just happened recently, right? Okay. Uh, okay. And so and and so you know, I don't know. That's my theory: is that uh, it used its dude, tentacles. I my along with other people's theories too. Love that theory, man! I love it. I never once thought about that. Um, I always was like tracking who had the key and whatnot, but fuck, you're a hundred percent right. The thing, it can manipulate itself. Like like it can create a creature out of just a little bit of blood. Yeah. It can, it can create on a molecular level. I mean, it could even go probably through the, uh, I wouldn't, you could even say, that it went into the keyhole and just futzed around until it opened up the key, you know, like, yeah. like it just didn't need the key. Like yeah. it could have done that too. But yeah, dude, I fuck. I, it, it wasn't the key. There was, yeah, they didn't need they the key. are chasing something that, that yeah, that didn't happen. And it's because they're not thinking about it as if it were an alien life form, yep. dude. Fuck dude. Oh, that's awesome. Ah, like literally, dude. I, I, I've heard so many theories, and this one is brand new to me. And that's it. It makes so much fucking sense, and it makes it even better because Copper and Gary are not the thing. Yeah. So, so no one had the key. Neither of them did it. Yep. 
oh, God damn, fucking love this movie, man. The fact that, like, years later and millionth viewings later, I can still, or through the help of you and, and the people who created the theory, discover new things about this movie that are that are amazing. Yeah, I was just going to say I love that there's, again, there's so much uh, fandom behind this and so many people with similar thoughts and who and have dug deep to ask the director questions, you know, like why, why did this happen? There's a scene coming up that I never knew about until I did a little bit of research about it. I'm like, Oh, that's fucking awesome. But we'll get to that in a late in a minute. That's awesome. I'm excited to, to hear about it. Uh, in, in the chaos, like of, of everyone sort of bickering windows, he makes a run for it. He's like, fuck this. I'm out of here. <laughs> and, uh, again, a, a logical move, dude. Cause yeah. windows is, he's a little bit, uh, freaked out, which I do not blame him. So he goes running for the fucking wall of guns that they have. And, uh, you know, uh, uh he kind of gets in the little standoff with Gary, uh, windows puts his gun down. Fucking Gary, um, Gary kind of, fucking Gary. Gary kind of turns his gun on everyone else, but he's like, look, I get it. And, th- and this is why I kind of, I do like Gary. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. dislike the character because he's like, look, I, I think everyone would probably, you know, be, um, feel safer if someone who was a little bit more level headed was in charge and he tries to put Norris in charge, which I think it's funny that the alien didn't take that opportunity to, to go with it. But you know what? I saying that out loud, the alien is probably smart enough to know that that would have been too much profile. Yeah. Like he needs to work in, in secret. And also it's, it's a, it's sort of like an opposite red herring, uh, to tell you that Norris is normal because you would be like, Oh, if it is the alien, he would want to be in charge so he could do stuff. But it's like, it's like a weird opposite red herring, you Uh, know? And so right now you're trying to track Clark as the alien, but Norris you think is human. Yeah. And, and so two things, one, I think, as a viewer, this is when I first thought that Norris was the first one to get turned. Um, like, oh, he's the alien, and he was the first one to get turned. That's what that was my theory early on, not Palmer. Um, okay. Because also, I was like, Norris is so. Like, do we even discuss what his role was as far as uh, uh, his role in the camp? Yeah, because he's not. He's not a he's doctor. Not, um, I'm thinking he's just a scientist. Okay. Um, and. My question to you is, because uh, I always tracked it as the yeah that that Norris. So all right, when he feigns the heart attack later, like yeah. and not when he has the heart attack, but when he has that pain in his chest, yeah, no one is around him to see that. So I'm wondering to you, is that when Norris like could start feeling the infection take over? Um, because when he was faking the heart, like when he kind of grabbed his chest, when he's looking out the window, we should probably just talk about it when we get to that point. Um, okay. uh, uh, I'll, I'll bring it up. I'll bring it up when we, when we get there. Okay. I was, I was going to say too, that Clark, you know, and Clark's like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be in charge or whatever, you know, and he wants to take over, uh, apparently in the, uh, the, Richard Mazur and um, and Keith David discussed because they were like the two biggest dudes in the camp that they would kind of always be at odds with each other. Like, oh, because they were just like these big, you know, sizable yeah, like, dudes. Yeah, like physically, yeah, big dudes. Yeah, and then they kind of had tension. Uh, that They created a backstory for themselves that they had tension with themselves, which I think is awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. 
I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, but yeah, again, they're, they're, they're really setting up like, so yeah, Clark wants to be in charge and that's what you think that the creature would want. So thus pushing forward that Clark is infected and Norris is not when it's actually 100% reversed. Um, we go outside and the gang is again burning the bags of blood, uh, which I thought was smart. I kind yeah. of wouldn't have, if in me being in that situation, I would not have thought to do that. <laughs> so they burn the blood, thinking that it was infected, or you know, rightfully so. And this is my absolute favorite scene in the movie because it just freaks me out so much. And when Mac looks at them and he talks about the fact that he's like, I know I'm human. And if you all were the creature, you would just bum rush me. So that means some of you are human too, but it freaks me out because there are like there, the thing is in that crowd. It's, it is there. And it's actually, you know, right now we can assume that it's two people. It's Palmer and Norris. Yeah. But like how fucking freaky is that? Just the idea that literally the person standing next to you is an alien life form mimicking everything. And, and like, like we said earlier, just like mimicking even personality, mimicking thought like it's all a mimic yeah you there's no real communication there it's all just a mimic and it just freaks me out man just the idea and they're all wearing masks too like because it's cold outside right like it's not it's a perfect design choice based on the world that these characters inhabit but the fact that they are all wearing like face masks and goggles because it's cold out like that just you can't see their faces you can't see their reactions really it is just masterfully done and yeah. truly my favorite scene in the movie, just my favorite moment in the movie. And it's not even that exciting. It just, it's, it's what it represents. It's, it's, it's a moment that just takes my brain into just some dark, scary places. And it's a weird, normal moment. Yeah. Right? I love it. I love that. Mo- yeah. I love that scene. Yeah. It's, it's really fucking cool. Hey everybody. It's your old pal, Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second away from all the gore and gruesomeness that's happening in the Antarctic right now, and I just want to give a quick shout-out to all of our Patreon members, without whom this podcast would not be happening. We appreciate all the love and support you guys have given us so far, and if you haven't checked it out yet, please swing on by our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash podcastingafterdark. We have two extra shows there. One is called Wrap Up After Dark. It's a monthly show where Zach and I kind of do a freestyle, freeform conversation, if you will. The other one, the meat of the potatoes, if it, as it were. Is that right? The meat of the potatoes? More like the meat and the potatoes <laughs> of the Patreon page is Interviews After Dark, which is a interview show, as you can probably tell from the name. And so far, we have talked to Tom Matthews of Return of the Living Dead fame. He played Freddy in the first one, and he was also in the second one, too, as you guys know. We talked to Stephen Jeffries, who played Evil Ed in Fright Night. We also talked to Tony Timpone, who was the Fangoria editor for, like, like mid-'80s, all the 90s, early 2000s. I mean, you guys really got to hear what he has to say. It's, it's awesome. And, of course... Diane Franklin, which we released on the free feed as an example of, you know, the interviews after dark. So I just wanted to let you guys know about that. And not only do you get those shows every month, we try to do uh, at least one of each every month. Uh, You also get ad-free versions 
of each regular episode, so you won't hear this ad, for example, or the next one. So, you know, if ads aren't your thing, there you go. All proceeds go towards helping the show grow, and uh, we're trying to get to some conventions next year and be more of a presence outside of, you know, just your your earbuds and uh, actually start meeting you guys face-to-face. So hopefully uh, we'll be able to do that this year, and uh, we appreciate, like I said, we appreciate all the love and support you guys have given us so far, and thank you, thank you so much, and we hope you have a wonderful 2020. Man, you know what sucks about living in the Antarctic? <laughs> oh no, it's not the cold, and it's not fighting off a shape-shifting monster. You know what really, really sucks about living in the Antarctic? No Casper mattresses. I mean, come on, how are you supposed to get a good night's sleep? Now I know what you're thinking, not another Casper ad. We all have heard these before. Yes, you're right, it is another Casper ad, and I don't know what to tell you about that. But, I will say this. Personally, me, Corey, from my mouth to your ears, my wife and I sleep on a Casper bed. That is not bullshit. We have a Casper bed. I love it, honestly, truthfully. I do. Not going to lie. I just bought a mattress uh, for my spare bedroom here for my mom. She came and visited. It's not a Casper mattress. I laid on it. It's not as good. I'm sorry, Mom. That's my fault. I should have bought a Casper mattress. But I can tell you, honestly, that I do get a good night's sleep on my Casper mattress. And if you all have been, you know, on the fence about getting one, well, consider this a recommendation. And if you're really leaning towards possibly getting one, well, why don't you follow the link in our show notes? If you're going to buy one anyways, we get a little kickback. It'll help help the show grow, a little money in our pockets to put towards some gear and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I think it'll go towards a good cause. It'll, you'll get a good night's sleep. We'll get a little bit of something, something. And you'll get 10% off. What more do you want? 10% off, and you're going to help a good cause. Us, Corey, Zach, your boys. What you know about that? So we can bring you more awesome content like this. Anyways, back to the thing. So Mac makes a Gary, Clark, and Cooper kind of separate from the group. Um, and he tells, you know, to, to, to go tie them up, um, and shoot them up with morphine, uh, I guess what to kind of make subdue them a, a little bit yep. and, and Fuchs can work on, on the new test. Right. Um, and I, you know, I love how like coppers, like I'm not, a, I'm not a prisoner, Mac. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I always like coppers, uh, the guy who plays copper, he's like, he seems like he's probably the oldest actor in the, in the group. Yeah. And his style is like that old style of acting. Like, ah, what do you say here, kid? You know, yeah, like, okay. and I, I find that interesting <laughs> because I feel like, like John Carpenter used like an older actor and he allowed him to kind of like still do his, like deliver his lines a little bit older actory, but it kind of it gives us this classic feel to it for some reason. I don't know, but I just, I like the way copper always kind of, I'm not a prisoner here, Mac. you know, like I just, I kind of liked it. I don't, I don't know why. Um, we have a scene where Mac is making the recording about how everyone's tired and no one trusts anyone. And I, th- I think that's just fucking great. I love that. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, F- and then he, uh, Mac and Fuchs have a scene where they're, where they're talking. I have something to say about this scene when, when, after you describe it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So now we have, uh, uh F- Matt and F- Matt, 
Now we have Mac and Fuchs kind of talking in, in sort of, I think it's Fuchs's lab or Fuchs's area. Yeah. And Fuchs is saying, like, everyone should prepare their own meal um, and whatnot. You know, just, just to, we should, everyone should take precautions, right? Yeah. And it, what, when, when, do you, when do you want to cut in? Do you want me to finish the whole, the whole thing out with the power going out and everything? No, right. No, right uh, so right when uh, Mac goes to Fuchs, right, and, and goes into his, his, his office or whatever, Fuchs uh, goes to grab uh this jar and apparent according to the actor that's supposed to be acid that he would use on himself if he was going to get infected by uh by the thing that's awesome which also (laughs) makes perfect sense that he burned himself later yep like fuchs fuchs was instantly prepared to fucking off himself before turning into the thing like he in in again it's awesome because it's a he's a scientist he's looking at it just from a straight he knows the stakes at this point right like he knows what's at stake he yep. sees the bigger picture and to fuchs there's no question if i'm going to get infected i'm going to kill myself because and he probably doesn't believe in an afterlife because he's a scientist so yep. he's looking at it just pure logically if i get infected i'm i'm you know like if i kill myself i'm one less thing that the rest of the team has to worry about if i'm infected again every character just they stick to what they would do if they were real, right? Yep. Based on based on their occupation, based on their background, based on their history, and the fact that 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 knowing now that that he went to go grab a thing of acid because you could tell that he was startled. First off, my first thought was, why do you work with your back to the door? You should be you should move your desk so that you could see the door, right? Yeah, exactly. But the fact that he was startled and he does reach over, I didn't even pick up on that. It's so fucking cool. It's so man. cool, right? So cool. And and, yeah. and by the way, um, side note, I I just actually found. All the the job listings for all the characters, like oh. some, someone someone <laughs> oh, fa- awesome. someone found all the name all the jobs of all of the characters. Or are we are we pretty much on point with We're some of these? Pretty much or... on point. Okay, nice, yeah. nice. Oh, well, there you did. Did it say what? What's Norris? By the way, real quick. So Norris is a is a, he's a geologist. Oh, so, yeah. you know, fuck that makes sense, man. Like it wouldn't all just be like doctors and biologists yeah it would be a fucking geologist yep. that that makes sense yep. yeah so and that's why norris went with mac and gary exactly. to oh exactly fuck <laughs> this movie's perfect it's just it's perfect it's a perfect fucking film i love it i love it so the so after mac leaves uh the power goes out in in fuchs's like little work area um, and you know, he kind of takes a candle or whatever and goes out to the hallway and you see a, a really good jump scare. It oh, always makes so me awesome. jump when you the classic like, carpenter, classic carpenter. Yeah. Like a very classic carpenter person just kind of walks in front of the, the camera, but it's all in shadow. And, uh, and so Fuchs sort of, you know, goes out to, to, you know, you, you see him kind of look and go to follow. Right. And then that's kind of like all you, you sort of get, um, back, uh, uh, everyone, Mac talks to everyone about finding Fuchs because, you know, he's like, uh, he can't find him. He's like the, the power was out in his, the, the fuse was blown in his work area. Does any, has anyone seen him? We don't even know how long, you know, the, the lights were out for anyone of us could have like done something, you know? So of yeah. course, like, he's like, we gotta go find him and we need to break up in teams. Everyone's fighting about sort of who they were going to go with palmer doesn't want to go with windows because palmer thinks windows is crazy and it's great because again we know that it's the creature throwing people off its scent it's, hey, it's always you. the creature throwing yeah. people off its scent yeah you know and i love that dude I, I i love that knowing that palmer is the thing you get to watch him and be like oh neat it's he's he's i i think 
it tracks. That he's going. always sort of throwing people off. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I'll go. I'll go with. I'll go with Childs. Go with Childs. I ain't going with Windows. I ain't going. <laughs> um. So Mac. Uh, goes checks on Blair uh, with with a few other people. Um, I think it's Nalls and Windows. I think right? it's a uh, Palm. Yeah, I think it's Nalls and Windows. I believe. Um, and in the shed, it's 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 hilarious. Uh, Blair has like a noose hanging there, like right in their <laughs> shot, right. And I love the fact that none of them address it, right? It's yeah, just yeah, it's just there. And you know, Blair's saying like, I'm I'm all better now. I'm all better. I want to come inside. Um, I, I, I may have been crazy before, but I'm all better. And I love it because my wife turned to me and said, that's the alien talking. And again, I was I, I never quite knew when he was changing. But I do believe that, th- that at this point, I believe that human Blair was making the noose. I believe that the reason that the noose was there is because he was going to kill himself. I think right before he did it, the alien took completely over. Yeah. And at this point, moving forward, the alien is a hundred. Blair is a hundred percent the alien at this point, moving forward. I think Blair was gonna kill himself, and I think the creature stopped him. And I think who Mac is talking to right here is the alien. And I think Mac knows it. I think Mac knows it. You know, yep. in his gut. Um, he he's gonna send you know everyone. They're gonna like obviously walk back. You know to. Uh, oh, and no, I'm sorry. I apologize. It, this is when they find Windows finds Fuchs burned body. Um, and they they kind of realize that Fuchs did it to himself with a flare. And because, you know, he was going to be attacked, he, he to stop himself from changing. And of course, knowing what we knew about the acid that it, even though it like it made sense before it tracks even better now because of the acid. Yeah, totally. Totally. I agree. Mac kind of sends everyone uh, back in, but he notices that the light uh, in his shack was on and he knew that he was the one that turned it off. Right. So it shouldn't be on. So he goes to the shack, to his shack with Nalls. So yep. basically Mac and Nalls go to McCready's little apartment. One, one bed. You know what? In LA that, uh, that shack would probably go for <laughs> what? Two grand in North Hollywood. Oh my God. Seriously, <laughs> dude. Like <laughs> the rent's seriously. too damn high. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, so now Nalls and Mac are like in Mac's shed, um, doing their thing. Uh, Childs and Palmer and Windows board up the doors back in. You know they're they're boarding up the the the, the compound essentially. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because the enemy is inside. It's not outside. But you know they don't quite know that just yet because uh, they also find you know finding Fuchs' body outside just kind of hammers home the fact that maybe the, the the enemy is outside, right? But it's not. It's inside, which is great. So we get an awesome shot of Nalls coming back alone without Mac, and he's like, "I had to cut him loose," you know, and everything. And uh, uh, Max, uh, he has Max cut up clothes with him. And he says he had to cut Mac loose on the line. Yep. Basically, when I kind of when I was a kid, I didn't really quite understand. But like when you, they were walking to Mac's shed, even though it looks like it's kind of close, whenever there's like a whiteout, which is what was happening, you can't see like two inches in front of your feet. So yeah. if you're not going in the right direction, 
you could like easily just walk off into oblivion. So every Mac shed has like a line that goes from the front door of the base to like his, his shed. And what Nall says is he cut him, cut that line and thus, you know, uh, uh, leaving Mac to be stranded out there. And, uh, uh, I love that shot of the handle of the door while they're all talking, just, just moving. There's no, there's small sound, right? A little bit of creaky sound, but there's not a lot of sound. You almost don't even notice it at the first second, right? That it's moving, which makes it even just more terrifying that, you know, something is on the other side of that door. Now, of course it's, it's Mac, but to them, they think it's the creature on the other side of the door. And I fucking love it. And, uh, windows. And what if you're wrong about him? (laughs) What if we're wrong about him? It's such a. <laughs> I love it. I love it, and and I love how uh, Palmer Palmer knowing that he's the alien. Palmer says, "Open the door. Let it like let's kill him." Right? Yep. Palmer, because that would just solidify if they open the door and they just flamethrowed Mac. Alien Palmer's like that would have just you know that's another just one opponent down right like I've just solidified myself because now everyone thinks that's the creature. I love it how Palmer is the one that suggested it. That's what I loved basically. Yeah, there's there's this theory too that uh, like when did Palmer turn right when did and 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 and, and you know he's smoking the J with uh, with Childs and now Childs gives Palmer the the J. And that he could have trans, oh, yeah. and so when people are like, "Oh, child, it has the thing in him," you know, but then later on, you, you, that kind of gets debunked because of the the blood test. But you know, uh, yeah, that's oh, good, good, yeah, good, good point there. Because was the the dog shot, the shot of the dog and the the person's shadow that was before Palmer and um, Childs were sharing the joint. Yeah. So I I personally thought that was Palmer getting attacked. Yeah. Now, we could say we could say that at that point, you know, maybe he wasn't fully consumed, right? Yep. So maybe maybe like every molecule or maybe every cell in his body was not saturated, you know, when he was sharing that joint with uh, with a child. Yep. And uh, I'm going to go one step further and maybe say that smoking the joint maybe it even dulled the the thing's senses. It, the thing, all right, this oh. may sound stupid, but but the thing is still a biological entity. It's yep. still biology. So, in theory, you could get it drunk. You could, you know, any kind of uh, chemical effects could happen to it. So, what if, what if uh, the 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 weed, the cannabis, kind of like slowed down its its thought process? And it, it is probably it doesn't know, like it doesn't know what weed is. So it's like, what the fuck is happening and just maybe maybe for a second it just slowed shit down and and it didn't infect child i like that that's yeah. i'm going with that theory i like I'm that, with that yeah. Theory. yeah 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 <laughs> sure guys guys and gals out there in, in the tw- uh, twitterverse and <laughs> let us know what you think about about these theories weed wins <laughs> weed always wins ah, <laughs> ah. um and i so basically mac uh, goes around to another entrance, and he comes in that room that they were trying to put the the body in, where where Benning's kind of got attacked, and it's kind of like a, a storage sheddy type of thing. But he comes in yeah. through that room, but he's holding a a stick of dynamite, right? And so, like right when Childs opens the door, the flare, the flamethrower, right? he's like, D- yeah, he's like, do it, you know? He's like, you know, 
burn me, childs, burn me. Yeah. And you know, I'll blow up. You know what I mean? Yep. He, he was kind of channeling old Harrison Ford uh, right there. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, uh, uh, Norris and Windows kind of, uh, I'm saying it's Norris and Nalls kind of sneak up and surprise Mac, but Mac kind of knocks them off of him. But this causes Norris to have his, uh, his heart, his heart attack. And, the scene we we've already missed the scene where where Norris was feigning the heart attack, and it was when Nalls was was coming back without McCready. Yeah. Um, Norris. So I just want to say Norris yells out to everyone when he feigns his heart attack right there. No one is around. He's he's in that room by himself, looking out the window. I I personally think that was the moment that the creature basically took over him. Yep. Like. He he thinks it's a heart attack, and in that second, I want to say in that second, he dies. Yep. And when he kind of looks back up, he's the fucking thing. That's my theory. That's I, you know that that's just my theory, uh, and maybe it's not in that exact moment, but I do find it interesting that he feigns and and him feigning the heart attack is obviously for the audience's benefit. Yeah. But if you but so far everything is tracked how it would happen in the real world, meaning they don't do a lot of things in this movie that are audience-specific. No. You know what I mean? They, they do things that are specific to the world. So I think there was a reason for that. I think that was the creature kind of like taking hold, basically. Yeah, and, his, ah, and, you know? and, and Norris's body was weak, you know, and that's why... Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my theory, at least. I agree. Um, so... Okay, yeah. So now Norris has or feigns an actual heart attack um everyone brings norris into the doctor's office and copper starts doing cpr on norris and you know so but but of course like everyone still has their eyes on mccready you know he's still standing there with his flamethrower and the stick of dynamite and everything and uh you know whatever but the the my fucking the best scene the, the most shocking scene in the entire fucking movie right now Copper is trying to do the defibrillator on on uh, Norris, and it's great because the first defibrillation goes through, like meaning he does it right, like like that's what sells it. Yeah, because it's the second one. It's the second oh. one when he goes to charge the thing, opens up in his hands because he's already in that motion of pushing downward. Yep. and it's just it's great because he just misses. Essentially, he misses where he's supposed to go, and his hands are just in that maw, and uh, it just it bites his fucking hands off. I, I just think it's fantastic. The the just what happens right like that 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 death right there. It's just like so when the when the when the chest opens up and the teeth are in there and rips his arms off and the entrails are just hanging and dangling and he's screaming his head off and just everyone's look of horror. It's so, <laughs> so brutal, just, dude. Just pure horror, just pure horror. I mean, it's it's amazing and the, the special effects are just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it makes and sense like the why thing you... kind of like. And then, like, Norris's head comes out of the middle of the creature. That's what's, like, that's what's so fucking awesome. Like, like I just, you know, it didn't have to be Norris's face, but it was. But it and it's really so fucking good. cool. And, and you think about 1982, how the special effects did not look that great back then compared. This is, like, some Total Recall uh, head replacement shit. Like, this looks so authentic it looks just and so when his head detaches from the body and and i remember uh i think that the 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 set caught on fire legitimately at one point when this happened um and and just 
the way they there's like that little balloon that comes out and pops like that that green pus Ugh, or whatever it's so gross it's so it's gross so it's gross so disgusting and, and the head just sitting there with the tongue the tongue sticks out and lashes out and the way he was able to get that the tongue to like whip out and grab the Ugh. chair or the desk and pull himself under uh it's so just uh, it's so amazingly grotesque but it's also fascinating you're like yeah yeah, I, 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 this, this is the movie that made like got me interested in special effects. Yeah. Essentially, yeah, dude. Um, and and you know, I love Palmer's reaction when the head is kind of like walking away, and he's like, "You got to be fucking kidding me!" <laughs> yeah. And it's great that Palmer says it, yep. you know, and and because he's at this point, like he knows that the Norris thing it has been compromised, so he should yes. just double down yes. on being human, you know. Yep. Um, and so they they burn the head. Uh, on the ground and, and they basically burnt all of the uh the norris um uh you know creature thing uh and then it uh, cuts to mac and the team are in the rec room um they're all kind of like uh, it's just all paranoid chaos at, at this point uh at one point we saw clark grab a scalpel from the the medical area yeah. i can't remember what scene it was um i believe it was when blair was going crazy it was a lot way further ago but clark grabbed a scalpel so you know he he has a weapon he's not he's not afraid to to use it and he kind of like starts creeping up on McCready. Yeah. Cause they're all still like, you know, distrustful of McCready. They all still think McCready's, uh, the, you know, the creature and everything. Yep. And as he's creeping up on McCready, McCready's got Gary's gun. He's pointed at Childs, but he kind of really quickly, like reactionary, totally like reactionary when, when Clark lunges at him and pop Bam. right in the fucking forehead. That's <laughs> <laughs> so great. Such a great shot where he just nails him head headshot yeah dude yeah dude so i mean he's he's dead before he hits the fucking ground man <laughs> and they don't even have the decency to close his eyes either which i love it when he's uh tied up on the on the the uh, the pool table uh so they basically tie up um uh palmer gary childs and Knowles all get tied up to chairs and whatnot uh they tie gary's lifeless body that's just staring at them it's such a great shot yeah and uh and in copper uh copper's he's dead from from his hands getting getting ripped off from the massive trauma from that but uh uh it's interesting that he doesn't get infected though even though he was touching you know the creature so i guess the creature was just like just dispatch that guy we're not even going to attempt to to take him over just get rid of him essentially yeah that's what i'm thinking yeah so mac he's he's standing there with with basically a flamethrower he's got sticks of dynamite on him he means business um windows is the only one that's not you know, uh, uh, tied up and he's the one that's sort of doing all the tying up. And also he's the one that has to take blood from everybody in a scene that I still to this day cannot watch. Um, my wife saw me look away. (laughs) I could, I can just like we were talking earlier. I did not even notice the wart on windows hands because I can't watch this at all. And it's ever since I was a kid, man, I had to go give blood one time when I was really young and they did the, the, the finger prick right on the, the, the index of your finger. Yeah. And even as a kid, I was like, why here? Yeah. Why were there's like the most nerves in your entire body that you have to do it here? And my doctor, cause it was like this, 
this pin thing that like pops, you know? Yeah. They had to do it like three times because it didn't work. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you using the same fucking finger every I time? Hate like, it. You know, like, it was such a terrible experience that to this day, I can't watch anything happening to people's fingers. Yeah. I just can't. It's disgusting. And, and, and the fact that he just digs that blade into his thumb and just, and then squeezes the blood out. It's like so much blood, <laughs> so much horror, just like <laughs> sticks that blade probably a quarter inch into his thumb. And I'm, I'm touching my thumb right now. And I'm like, I don't think I have a quarter inch to give. And, and you know, <laughs> Dude, I I'm literally squirming in my seat just thinking about it right now. It's, Piercing the it's a flesh. Oh, god, it's horrible. I fucking hate it. I hate it, man. Oh, man. Um, but then, but then, Windows' reaction while he's doing the blood test on him is such a evil looking face, and you're like, yeah, it's such a great piece of acting because you're thinking. Is he going to turn? Is he a villain? Is he not a villain? Like, what's going on here, man? Because he steps back and he kind of does that, like, when your head looks down, yep. but you look straight ahead, you know? Yep. And, yeah, they're still – they're still – because, you know, they're still you're still tracking – as a viewer, you're still tracking that Windows is a little bit crazy. Yeah. So is he the thing? Um, but, yeah, you find out – so Mac has a test where he takes people's blood because he the, the when he saw Norris's head detach, it gave him an idea that maybe – Every part of this creature is its own living creature. It's it's a, basically it's a ho- it's a colony. It's a hive. Yeah. It's it's a hive mind, and every cell it's its own thing. So you know, to us, if you if you make one of us bleed, it's just blood, right? It's just tissue and nothing, right? Yeah. Here, it's a creature that's going to want to survive. So what he does is he. I always thought this was kind of cool. He takes um uh, uh like wire and he strips the plastic off of it and he heats up the metal end of it and he sticks it into the little petri dish you know and everyone has names on it so windows he knows is is clean um and he's like you know now i'm going to show you what i already know and he shows you know he does it to himself and he knows that he is clean um and, and then child is like find this is out bullshit. <laughs> his bullshit yeah because yeah because at this point you're right it is bullshit because okay do you even know if the test works if ever if you're saying everyone's clean does yeah. this test even work yeah. at this point um because i think it was after he tests copper and clark but um uh he, he tests copper and clark and they're both uh clean which means uh mccready shot an innocent man which means he killed clark and clark was human yeah, yeah child which is cool and someone actually yeah does say it child says that and it's funny because child says that so after he says that i think oh wait you just said that this test is bullshit and then now you're saying well you just killed a man so i'm like what is it childs do you believe in this test or do you not believe in this test do you believe it if it backs up your theories you know wait a minute are you the alien what's going on here but here's my favorite i love when he gets to palmer and it's i just think it's 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 a little bit of humor's face the alien i love how the alien is just like well (laughs) yeah the jig is up yeah palmer i I love it like he like as as weird and and creepies as windows's was is how funny palmer's reaction is yeah palmer's like and i love it i just I, i just love it because it's it's the aliens' reaction, yeah, and that's what's funny. And I gotta, I gotta think that John Carpenter on set was like, "Guys, this is funny." It's, it's the alien is like, "Oh well," you know. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it. I'm sure that's what it was because he's got a great sense of humor as, as far as his movies are concerned. Uh, yeah, like those those pure like because there's another hilarious moment coming up right after this, but uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, and I, 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 dude, I love. Sorry, all right, so. 
so he goes to check Palmer's blood, right? And I noticed it this time when I was watching it with my wife. Um, the 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 person he does right before uh, Palmer is not an alien, right? Yeah. But they use the same fake hand shot uh, uh, to kind of sell you on the fact that you know that that it's you know or to sell the scare in two in two seconds, kind of like how the first defibrillation on Norris works, right? Like it doesn't reveal itself right away. And they do the same thing where they use that fake McCready hand because that's where they're going to pump that creature's head through the, the hand that's holding the Petri dish, but they use it the same shot for a, a non, you know, a non shot, meaning like someone who actually wasn't the alien. So now you're expecting it again to not be Palmer. And so when that alien jump, jumps out of the, the Petri dish, that always makes me jump and in a good way. I love it. But especially I that love sound Palmer's. Too. Yeah, the, 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 the creature. Yeah, it's so cool, man. And I love Palmer's transformation. His head just starts wigging out and everything. His eyeballs, he starts doing all, you know, craziness. Oh, and. Yeah. He fucking he like shoots up to the ceiling. I always thought that was a really cool effect where he essentially jumps to the ceiling, but then he stays there. And Mac can't get his flamethrower to light. And I, I kind of like this was the one movie thing in the entire movie that's like it's like, totally like working? a movie thing. Yeah, yeah like yeah. like you can't get the car to start when when someone's chasing you. Yeah. It was just like a a total movie thing, but. Windows, so he's like, Windows is the only other person with the flamethrower, so Windows has got to, to take out Palmer. Palmer sort of lands right in front of Windows, and his head just opens up and grabs Windows' head and just starts flinging Windows around by his head. Yeah. So, like, if Windows is even living or surviving, his neck has got to be broken. His feet are, like, breaking, you know, uh, uh, g- lamps, and, and everyone's screaming. It's it's wonderful chaos. It's, it's amazing, <laughs> yeah. awesome chaos, yeah. right? Yep. And so Palmer thing finally kind of, like, throws Windows to the side, and Windows is just covered in blood and everything, and McCready lights him up, and, and Palmer Thing runs through the the wall. He just busts through the wall <laughs> and runs out into the snow, and McCready just chucks a fucking uh, uh, stick of dynamite at him and blows him up. I was like, that's so great. And, but I do remember that scene specifically because on the back of the VHS cover, that's the picture. They Like, the only picture on the entire movie they show is, is uh, Palmer Thing on fire running out of the hole in the wall. Yeah. Uh, so that always, always holds a special place in, in my heart. Um, McCready comes back in and everyone's screaming about windows because windows is now starting to change. And I love that weird guttural growl thing that he does. And it's just, it's, it's cool because it's just not human. Yeah. I love it. I love the juxtaposition of these, of these weird sounds, not, you know, coming out of a human face, but you know, it's not a human sound. It's great. And so, of course, uh, uh, McCready lights him up. And all we're left with is uh, Gary, uh, Childs, and Nalls, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're so, sitting there. They're sitting there on this couch with a giant hole in the rec room. It's probably freezing. It's cold as hell. And, uh, you know, they're going back to the test again. yeah well now you know it works so (laughs) might as well finish it and i love how you know when he finishes uh it's it's 
there's some comedy in the editing. Oh, yeah. Because totally. it, like, there'll be an establishing shot of the three, and then all of a sudden, Nalls is standing next to him, and then, then you know, all of a sudden, Childs is there. You know, it's like they do some little bit of humorous editing, but I love how Childs, you know, fucking just freaks out when when they find out and then i love even more gary's reaction yeah i was gonna say Nulls Nulls first like when he gets the flamethrower he like he he's like yeah now i'm in charge motherfuckers like y'all ain't gonna tie me up again you know yeah and then, nope and then childs is like hey, get me out of here get me out of here get me out of here yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, you're a little bit excited right now, buddy. And then Gary looks very. You know, and, Gary's like a kind of want want. <laughs> well, I I love Gary because Gary keeps it in. He's like, I know you gentlemen have been through <laughs> a lot, but if you don't mind, I don't want to spend the entire season tied to this fucking chair. <laughs> and I just I, loved so it. Just loved yeah. it. Yeah, it's classic. I don't know why, man. I don't know why. No, because it's funny, man. It's like it's an intentional, fu- intentionally funny scene, too. I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. So Mac and the team now everyone's clean. They go to uh, uh, go to test Blair, but they leave Childs behind to kind of you know guard the base. And they find in the shed that Blair isn't there. I, he. I have to. Inter- I have to interrupt you for one second. So. Yes, they, they never intentionally say, "Child, you stay behind and guard the base." Like it's never explicit. I don't think, right? Because I wrote that down. I'm like, you know, you would think at this point. Well, I guess they're maybe assuming no one else is in the base. Yeah, so I, like, I feel like I feel like there was dialogue saying, like, telling him to. I, yeah, it it didn't track to me as weird. It tracked to me like, okay, that makes sense. Leave somebody behind. I, yeah. Yeah, I, it, was it Childs' idea or did someone like tell him to do? I it? don't think it's ever. I, I, I'm I'm addressed. Pretty certain it's never addressed. And and on one hand, okay. it makes sense because they're thinking, okay, no, everyone is dead, so they've got nothing to worry about. On the other hand, I'm thinking I would want everyone to stay together and not take their eyes off anybody at that point. But yeah, it is what well, it is. Yeah. And and even uh, my wife said when they were earlier going out looking for Fuchs, she was like, "They should be in parties of three, not two. Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, you're." I was like, "You're right. That's that's smart. You're, again, you're smarter than me. I wouldn't have thought of that because you know if it's if it's three, you have a better chance that if one person, you know, you're not going to get taken over. Exactly. Um, so. It's really cool because they find out that Blair has been dig- digging a little tunnel underneath and creating a little, uh, little. Oh, so little, great! I know it's so cool, dude. Creating a little UFO for himself, and I love how it doesn't have to be a full size UFO because he just has to drop, like, take his arm off and yep. put it in there, right? He do- it doesn't have to be all of Blair. Nope. It's just it can be anybody or any piece of him can go in there. It can be a fucking microscopic, right? And that's what that's why I love about it. That's what's really fucking cool. And what I love um, I love about it too is the fact that. Like they they explained, oh, these are like the helicopter parts, and but yeah. then that's when I went back to thinking, oh, he must have been in there for a really long time because that a lot of time must have passed since all of this has happened because the tunnel is extensive and the supplies are there. There's yes, you know, 
But I would I would say then and go back to your tentacle theory. Um, you're also thinking about a man with two arms digging out a hole. It True. can create a creature with a hundred arms and dig that hole in like ten minutes. True. You know what yeah, I mean? That's true. And but I'm but I'm with you. I love the fact that they explain that it uh, was using parts from from the uh, from the helicopter yeah. and how he was like scavenging it. And then real quick, it does bear the fact that there is intelligence to this thing if yeah. it you know it knows how to do this so or it just assimilated a species that had this technology and knowledge and it's just drawing on that it's so fucking awesome so awesome so they find all that uh but Knowles is the one that's kind of like so they they're kind of like setting some dynamite and yada 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 and because they got to blow it up but Knowles is kind of watching the door and he sees Childs leave the building uh and then like 2 seconds later like all the sort of the power goes out right yeah. so they realize Macmillan realizes that the creature is trying to freeze itself he's like it knows it can't like get out of here it knows it's stuck and i'm just gonna freeze because it will survive but we won't and that's what's that's what's genius about it so they blow up the shed in the makeshift ufo um then they like kind of like so they decide to like destroy the place basically like fuck it we're not gonna give it the chance and this is when i don't remember exactly where but i think this is when mac is like none of us are leaving here alive like that's just what's gonna happen they did they they determined that i think when they realize the generator is gone when he's like, okay, okay, they go down, they go into the, you know, into the, yeah, uh, yeah, we'll get, okay. well, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Um, okay, so, so they send like a little caterpillar thing, uh, into like the building, um, it, and then they kind of light it up, and they basically just start destroying the building, throwing stuff into, to you know, Molotov cocktails in the, into rooms <laughs> and things, just generally just blowing it up. Yeah. Um, and then they go down into the generator room, and it's at this point, it's Mac, Nalls, and Gary, and. I love how they uh, Gary's like, uh, you know, the generator's gone, and and Max like, what do you mean? He's like, it's gone. Well, yeah, yeah. Matt, like, he, I love that. I, I liked. I just liked his delivery. Can we you repair know? it? And he's like, it's gone. Like, yeah, it's gone. I I I just liked it. I again, I like. I love every actor in this movie. Yeah, I love every single one of them. I love how they portrayed every all of their characters. And I, I I love Gary. I thought Gary was fucking awesome. I love every character in this movie. You know, but by the way, by the way, Lee Van Cleef at one point was considered uh, for the part of Gary. Can you imagine Lee Van Cleef? Uh, you know, I think I think that would have been a bad choice. I agree. And, and they I guess Donald Pleasance was originally. Con- so it was like a typical Carpenter you know, thing. Donald Pleasance was considered for the role of Blair, but he couldn't do it. So it's it's kind of like, you know, you think about all these these perfect storms that all come together at the right moment. Like every single, you can't envision any other actor playing. Uh, The guy who plays Palmer was originally supposed to play windows. And so he's like, no, you know, or or, or vice versa, maybe. Uh, But anyways, like the idea is like, you can't imagine these guys anywhere else. And the guy who plays Gary is so great. And yeah. I, I, I just love them all. I love yeah, everyone in this movie, and I think they do a fantastic fucking job. So they decide to start basically planting dynamite around the place, and this is the one thing that I thought was dumb, and even my wife mentioned it. She's like, 
why don't you guys just stay together, right? Yeah, Instead agreed. of doing the whole split up agreed. thing. But um, I will say that it that Gary has the best death. So like he's like he's like goes around the corner, you know, to to because they're in they're in the basement. This basement looks like it's it's huge. It kind of encompasses underneath the entire uh, outpost. Yeah. Um, but basically, Blair walks up on Gary and sticks his hand into his mouth. And I always loved <laughs> how you could see his fingers were going under the skin. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Gary's just like you know because you know that that Blair thing is just feeding the you know stuff down Gary's throat essentially yeah, you know yeah. feeding itself down Gary's throat and then Nalls sees that shot of Blair taking Gary away but he's his whole hand is now encompassed Gary's face and he's dragging Gary away by his face but you can't see Gary's face because it's basically an extension of Blair's hand and it's it's so cool because I I didn't pick up on some of that stuff until I was older and honestly until we had better quality uh you know dvds and stuff there's so many little special effects moments in this movie that sort of take place unceremoniously and that's what makes them fun yeah because the camera does not zoom in on on gary's face being brought carried away you know so it's it's great but Knowles is an idiot he follows um uh gary and blair and you don't see him die but now, now all that's left is McCready, and he's like he calls out, I think, to Nalls or somebody, and he realizes he's he's you know alone now at this point. He knows everyone's gone, and he's kind of like looking down the hall, and all of a sudden the ground sort of erupts, and it starts you know all the the planks on the ground, very Tremors esque, yeah. kind of go boom 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 boom, boom and do that whole thing, and I think Tremors is probably doing an homage to this scene uh, at, at that point, and a giant, giant. Blair monster, you know, the, the full culmination of the creature comes out of the ground, and uh, and it 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 had before it done that it took the plunger of the of the the dynamite kind of into the hole with it. So you think that you know, um, McCready doesn't really have a chance here, right? But the creature's up in the air. It's ah, you know, and then McCready's, you know, like suck on this, throws throws the the dynamite at it, and I love and it. Blows it up. Yeah, his line is "fuck you too." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's one yeah. of those. It's such a great line. Unlike you know the cliched nine late eighties early nineties, yeah. you know the tagline because it's great because it's like yeah, it's just it's so fitting. It's so perfect. And, and fuck you too. Yeah, yeah I, I love it, man. I I love it, and I know that like. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like I think John Carpenter wasn't uh, in love with the the ending. Like I don't think that the giant Blair creature was turned out the way that they exactly wanted it to. And I th- I thought I'd read that he felt it was a little bit underwhelming. But yeah. like what you said about the actors uh, earlier, like. Honestly, man, I can't picture a better ending. No. Like, I don't need, I don't need, like, a big battle of McCready, like, tentacles going around his feet, yeah. him cutting them off. I don't need all that. This, I can't picture it any other way. And honestly, this isn't the ending. It's no. the ending at the end when him and Childs are there is more of the truer ending. And I think we're more of the fun comes into play yeah there's there's a bunch of discussion about uh one it, it was the there was more stop motion in it and it's a deleted scene i think on the blu-ray uh of 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 the of the of the blair monster like m- uh, very uh, stop motion heavy and and carpenter didn't like it so he he cut it from the film uh that scene where it pulls the dynamite 
plunger into that the ground. stop motion. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's a little hokey because it's so sped up, and and I get I get why he uh, why he cut that out. It makes total sense. I think it's perfectly fine. Uh, I think at that point yeah. it makes sense because it, it these this monster is just like a buildup of all sorts of like you know all the pieces of all the other things which is great it's got that giant dog head that comes out too and uh and yeah it it it, in and you know he he thrown around a bunch of different possibilities as to what the official ending would be like and they kind of uh you know zeroed in on what you're going to talk about in a second i couldn't see it any other way and it wouldn't want it any other way Yes, agreed. I, I don't. I don't want a different ending. I. No. I love it. I love everything about it. And so it ends with with Mac uh, kind of walking through the rubble. Uh, he has a uh, his 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 Jameson, I think, with him or Jim uh, Jim yeah, Beam Jameson, isn't it? I, Jim. Oh, it's Jim Beam. Okay. Or a J and B, Yeah, Jim Beam. I think. Yeah. Or J and B. Is it J and B? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm more of a beer guy, uh, guys. <laughs> Just to let you know. And and Zach's Zach's uh, uh, two in shape to uh drink as much as as, <laughs> as i do so uh so what i'm trying to say is neither of us are really the authority on whiskeys and bourbons and and scotches you know yeah it's it's some uh, sort of scotch some sort of glen some sort of some sort of glen some sort of glen <laughs> some sort of fire water i'll take a glen i'll take some sort of glen <laughs> some, some sort of glen scott um but uh <laughs> um all right, so he's sort of sitting there, uh, you know, he, he's sort of resigned to his fate, right? Yeah. And, and Childs walks up, and he's like, where were you? And he's like, I, I thought I saw Blair, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they kind of have this little exchange about, like, are you who you are? And, and I like how McCready's like, well, you know, if any of us have any surprises, I don't think there's anything either of us are going to do about yep. it, you know. And, and that's kind of like... You know, and they end with with Child sort of sitting there with McCready, and you know, McCready gives him a sip of his of his Glen <laughs> of, his, of his Glen something, and uh, Glen Gary, and that's how that's how it ends, and it's it's so depressing because you think they're they're gonna they're you know that's it for them, they're not gonna survive uh, just sitting there in, in the cold, and maybe Child's is is the monster or the thing, and the final fan theory that I want to address is people say that because um, there is no breath uh fog you know you can see when mccready talks when you can see when kurt russell talks the fog breath comes out of his mouth yeah but when childs when keith david talks nothing comes out of his mouth there and so people honed in on that was the indication that childs mm. is um you know the thing so i'm gonna say yeah i'm gonna I, I like that theory um what do you think buddy what do you think childs is the thing or not well i'm gonna go with what John Carpenter said when he said, I, I leave it up to the viewer to determine what happens next, like in, in whether or not he was a, an alien. Um, I don't, I think he is. I think, I think Childs is, I think uh, you, you, the fact that he was left alone is too much of a, of a, of a what if, you know, and, especially knowing that Blair was running around. Yeah. And I love when, when McCready's like, let's just sit here a while, you know? And, and that's kind of mm-hmm. how, I think that's his last line before the movie just ends. And, yeah. uh, and I love that. Cause yeah, like th- this was intended to be one of, th- uh, this is considered Carpenter himself considers this the first of his apocalypse trilogy. Uh, second being Prince of darkness and third being in the mouth of madness and knowing Carpenter, knowing the bleakness of his films overall, it's got to be yeah, Childs has, has, I think money, it's a, it's a safe bet saying Childs is an alien, uh, 
but you know if he isn't then then it's still somewhere lingering around you know the blood scurried yeah. off uh <laughs> after the, uh, he touched the uh, the tray uh palmer's tray so where did that blood go you know like oh yeah true, yeah you know mm-hmm. like there, there's it, they to- they might have torched the whole place, but if it just hid under the ice and it's li- living there dormant, it may be discovered. It may, it may never be discovered, you know? Yeah, and the great thing is is that Dark Horse Comics put out a fantastic two-issue miniseries yeah. that picks up immediately after this movie and kind of follows Mac and Childs. And, and, and dude... Every issue oh, is painted. It's, it's it's such a beautiful comic. If you guys have not read it, you should definitely track it down. Now, yeah. Dark Horse did do a lot. They had the thing license, and they did do a lot of thing um, comic books. I think there's one where it was on a tropical island, stuff like that. This one was the only one I really dug. Is this the one that goes into the submarine? Yes, this is the one, the second issue with the submarine and everything. Yeah. Um, um, it's really, and it's just two issues. And you shouldn't have a hard time tracking it down, but I, I really recommend uh, doing it. I will absolutely post the, the, the pictures, like the covers on our Instagram mm-hmm. so you guys can see that and everything. But uh, as far as final discussions go, I mean, I, I think you guys know how we feel. I think we put it on uh, on, on tape right now. Uh, I fucking love this movie, man. I Love this movie. Love, love, love. I can't... I don't even know a better word to describe it. And it, and because every time I watch it, I like it more. Like, every time I watch it, I don't... You watch movies and you find holes in the plot or whatever. Yeah. I never find anything really wrong other than what we... Minor things that we discussed. But then the fact that, like, you opened my eyes to other things that I didn't even notice this viewing completely outweigh any of the minor things that I that I, I thought was maybe just a smidge wrong with it. I, it. It's a fucking... It's almost a perfect fucking movie, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it. it's not... Um... I don't think there's a definition ever of a, of a flawless film because you can you can nitpick everything everything but the but the things that you could nitpick from this never take away from the overall base of how great this film is it is it is a classic it is dare I say the greatest science fiction uh, Earth-based science fiction classic of all time. <laughs> thank you, yes. Th- thank you. Uh, as someone who who loves the Alien franchise, I was I was about to take umbrage. <laughs> I think when you when you when you classify something as the best of, you have to be very specific because I don't think yeah. there is a best a best of fl- uh, across the field board film you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i agree and, and the cool thing is is that this is a i mean it this is a horror sci-fi movie but the sci-fi is really put to the to the back burner where it's just a a straight up you know horror movie but i love it i love its sci-fi elements yeah i think it's only sci-fi in the sense that it's an alien uh being yeah yeah like where the origin of the antagonist came from yeah. essentially yeah because if you take out the gore and the alien it's a thriller it's a mystery, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's classic mm-hmm. Agatha Christie, uh, uh, 10, 12, 10 little Indians or whatever that film is or book is that she wrote. It's based, it's like the classic, uh, strangers, uh, like, you know, there's 10 people on a train. One of them is the killer. You don't know who it is until oh, the very, okay. it's that kind of yeah. idea. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and, and it's a classic film. Uh, it's a classic storytelling element. But it's just done so magically here, and everybody is uh, everybody brings their A game, 
and Carpenter, like the fact that Carpenter didn't score this film, it's an annual Morricone. Uh, it, it, it doesn't, there's many times though, where I feel like, Oh, that, that sounds like Carpenter. That, Yes, I honestly, uh, I always assumed that Car- that John Carpenter scored this because I'm not a big music guy, so I do n- I never track that right. But to me, it sounds like a Carpenter film, so I was actually a little surprised on this viewing when I saw that it was not John Carpenter who did the music for it. So I was like, oh, okay, but it's still it felt John Carpentery. Yeah, and I know? and I love but, I love how like you go back to 1982 around that time and everyone was shitting on this movie left and right. And you're like, wow, where did that come from? You know, because I don't look at any of this and go, Oh, that's lame. Or, Oh, you know, I just, I don't get it at all. And, and I know the actors at the time, like a lot of people involved in this movie were not a fan of the amount of gore and horror elements to it. But uh, look, it turned out to be, it, it's one of the many signatures this movie has. Yeah, it holds up left and right. I dare, I'd say, I in, 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 instead of watching the 2011 prequel, I would watch a YouTube playthrough of the PlayStation 2 game <laughs> because yeah. uh, there are some fun little Easter eggs, which I won't reveal if you're not familiar with it. But go check it out because it actually, uh, it's really good. It's a nice companion piece to the movie. And I want to put this out there sort of to crowdsource to our fans way back in the day, like early Internet days, uh, uh, like 20 years ago. I remember that somebody wrote a piece of fan fiction, which was the retelling of this movie, but from the creature's point of view. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was fun because the creature was like. He, it didn't it wasn't um male- malevolent it was like it was it didn't understand like why you don't you guys don't want the knowledge that I want to share with you like I'm trying to share knowledge and I love the fact that that the writer like took the thing from a point of view of because of course like every great villain doesn't think that they're the bad guy right yeah. so the creature the thing just thinks it's doing what it's supposed to be doing which is it's accumulating knowledge from all these other you know species and don't you want to be in a collection of knowledge you know like what is wrong with you all why are you putting up such resistance um but i haven't i haven't read it in forever i don't remember who wrote it i don't remember what it was called and if anyone has a link to that if you could drop that in in you know the comments of of something on our social media i would love to to kind of revisit that um but you know another call to action guys let us know your theories let us you know let us know what you thought of our theories and uh, let us know if you if you thought we were right if we thought we were wrong on it I, I think one of my favorite things about this movie is all just the the speculation and the theory so i, I i'm hoping that this movie kind of causes or, or facilitates you know some more interaction uh online with us because i i think everyone's got their own theories about stuff and i want i want you all to tell me who you think uh the dog got you know in in that first sort of scene you know where you only see the shadow of the head and everything i want you all to tell us who you think uh when norris you know got got and everything i want to hear what you guys uh think about that kind of stuff yeah and and go to out, outpost31.com if you want more info uh it's it's pretty exhaustive i love the fact too that the movie came out on my birthday in 1982 so uh you know uh, <laughs> there you go uh, but no i just i that that's a very it's like a, it's probably the the most comprehensive um culmination of and they actually have cool images of the dark horse comics on there as well i'll post a link to that on one of our probably on the facebook or or the reddit or whatever i'll I'll definitely post a a link to that when this 
goes live. Cool. If you guys don't see one, let me know. Or Zach, if you don't if you don't see me do it, just just give me a little nudge reminder. You got but it. Uh, I like that kind of stuff. Anything we talk about on these on these podcasts, I like to you know I kind of like to do the Reddit as the supplemental material essentially. So I'll try to find any sort of behind the scenes stuff and and post it on there. I just realized uh, I went. There was a Fangoria convention when they premiered the PlayStation Two thing video game and then gave out free patches for everybody outpost 31 patches and they were talking about the game makers were so excited to have a faithful sequel to the movie um and for its time it was kind of you know it was pretty decent yeah, it's cool. I mean, it was yeah. Look into it. It was a really cool concept. Like, mem- you were like, you played like a, a you know members of a team that like stumble across the base, whatever. But yeah. like your team members could get infected, and sort of different outcomes could happen, and you wouldn't know they were infected. And it 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 tried to do things that the technology couldn't uh, be capable of doing. And I really wish that they would just redo it. Like, not yeah. just you know, take the old game and put a new skin on it, but just take the concept and just rebuild that game from the ground up because it was so cool, man. And it came with a DVD copy of the movie. So I bought it uh, right away. And that was, that was my copy of the movie was, was what came on the PS2 disc, which was the thing. I forgot about that. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I I have the new, the, the latest of, of many shout factory releases of this film. And there's a, the theatrical cut or the TV cut is on it as well, which has a little bit more exposition on the, the characters. Um, it is what it is. I always think those are fun. The the uh, the TV yeah. cuts from back in the day because they would actually shoot extra stuff. They did that for the Warriors. They did that for RoboCop, the right, and they did that for this. I'm sure they did it for other movies too. But I just love like, oh, that was an interesting choice because Carpenter hates it. It's like that's not my movie, but you know, whatever. Yeah, my 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 friend on Instagram, uh, Brad. He's a he's a huge RoboCop guy, and like all he does is post about RoboCop. But he was telling me about the the Arrow Blu-ray, which I think you got. Yeah. But uh, it it has the 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 TV cut of RoboCop, which is is as like <laughs> people love it. It's like it's such a it's a funny funny thing because of the way they cut things. Yeah. And and I remember specifically because it, it was when uh, um, Clarence dro- drives around Emil's melting body <laughs> instead of through it. And uh, and I always thought that was kind of worse because now Emil just has to go and melt. Yeah, dude. Slowly and painfully. <laughs> yeah, he's got to suffer. You know. Yeah. Could have just been put out of his misery. So. Yeah. I, I love this movie. I think that's that's there we go. The thing, man, uh, it's a great movie, and I think uh, I think everyone, should, if you've not seen it, check it out. It's it's fantastic. Great choice. Great choice. Thanks, man. And like I said, this was my Christmas movie. So hey, uh, happy holidays to everybody. <laughs> we go from uh, you know getting balls shut off in the invasion of USA to uh, having heads separate from their bodies and uh, you know yeah. ripped up they underwear. Walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Love it. So it's what it's what the holidays are for, guys. Uh, Zach, my man, this is our longest episode. I knew it would be because this movie was was very uh, in-depth to track. It went by so fast. So I know you got to get – I did. It did. But I know you got to get going. So, uh, buddy, where can we find you out there in the internet universe and the podcast universe? Too? You can find me on Instagram at Zach Schaefer, Z-A-K-S-H-A-F-F-E-R. Um, and I'm also on Twitter at Zach Schaefer VO. And also find me on my other podcast that I co-host, $2 Late Fee, TWO. Uh, and we have a lot of fun on there. It's a retro cast. And uh, we'll be on an upcoming episode at some point 
the co-host Dustin Rubin will be on a podcast watch list very soon down the road. Yeah, yeah, you guys recorded uh, an episode of your your watch list, which uh, <laughs> which I did with Tess. Um, so we're gonna try to I think release that in, in January or something. Um, but yeah, if if you guys have not checked out Two Dollar Fee, and I mean not just because Zach's my best friend, but because like. Fucking, it, it's a good fucking podcast. You guys definitely need to check it out. If you like this, you'll like that because it's like the, just the different side of a coin. They do movies that are a bit more upbeat while we do <laughs> movies that are a bit darker and a little bit more twisted. So uh, if you like Podcast After Dark, definitely check out $2 Late Fee. And if you follow Podcasting After Dark on Instagram, you'll see us posting, you know, do some cross-posting and stuff like that. So really, really appreciate that. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Corey Nation. That's where I'm most active. In general, we're most active on Podcasting After Dark's Instagram, too. Uh, that's that's where we have, I think, the most fun. I got to say, the Instagram horror community is oh, a lot awesome. of fun and, awesome. and very strong. Um, I really enjoy all the interaction that we have from you guys on our Instagram account. It's, it, it, makes, it makes logging in so much fun. Um, you can also find me on a few you know, shows on the, the BFOP network, uh, Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast, talking about Seinfeld every week. Um, you can hear me occasionally on the Blast From Our Past podcast. Uh, you can hear me on Ongoing Comic Book Discussion podcast, which is a weekly comic book podcast with my friend Tess every week. And uh, I got to get on the Friday Five podcast, but they are also in our network, and you guys should check them out. And uh, yeah, yeah, you guys want to check out all the, the podcasts after dark stuff, like our Instagram, our Patreon, guys. We, we if we hope that you're enjoying our Patreon, uh, we have exclusive interviews up there and everything. I know we plug it all the time, but uh, if you want to go check out our Patreon page, we have a lot of content yeah. there, a lot more content than that's on the free feed. And by the time you're hearing this. You will have already heard the Diane Franklin interview that we released uh, for free on on the the free feed. The, that's a part of our interviews after dark series, uh, which is a Patreon exclusive series. But we released that episode because she's awesome, and it's just a great example of like what you can find behind the paywall. So if you like, if you guys like what we're doing, um, all proceeds go towards making the show you know better, and uh, we're hoping to become mobile next year and kind of start going to to convention and stuff and having more of a presence um outside of you know just you know the internet and airwaves yeah. so uh any any patreon donation is going to go towards all of that stuff basically good good talk <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i don't know what else to say i love I, I, no no it's fine you re- you, i don't know how you to, said I don't it know all why dude. i left it <laughs> <laughs> all right so i'm just gonna sit here a while and ponder yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right guys well we will catch you uh next year in 2020 in january happy so new year this will be our last show for yep happy new year and we will we hope you guys have a great new year we hope you guys have a lot of fun and be safe out there and we will catch you guys next year late late <laughs>
and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit, Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark. Hey, this is Brent. And I'm Eric. And we are part of the Friday Five Podcast. Yes, sir. We cover everything from the 80s to today. We absolutely do. You can find us every other Friday on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Like any. iTunes? Like Stitcher. Oh, man. This Maybe a little Spotify. Hey, and also check us out on Instagram. Absolutely. So come hang out. I think you'll have a lot of fun, and we will see you there. Yeah, bring your Proton Pack and your Ecto Cooler. And maybe some McNugget Bugs. <laughs>